Hello, everyone. Welcome to Paintball Passport. Uh, this is the Traveling International Paintball Story podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Barrett, and soon I'm going to have on the show my good friends, Isaac from Paintball Nerd and Go Sports. Uh, he's the fucking man. I've been on the show a few times recently, uh, but I've been really looking forward to talking with this man uh, more long form and getting his story rather than just sharing my own with him. Um, you know, we don't really have sponsors yet, but this show is brought to you by Me Labs. And uh, that's the company I work for. Uh, Endless Paint Club is the program that I am running. So if you guys are wondering what that's about, uh, that's me spearheading the idea. Um, normally I'm just kind of joking and funny and sarcastic about it, but on a serious note, uh, you know, the company is owned by a bunch of paintball players, and uh, that includes uh, me working for them. And we just want to give back. Um, you can't tell me that your body doesn't hurt after playing paintball. I've been playing it for 20-something years now, and it does make you sore. And a lot of the way I play through the, all those pains and injuries and surgeries that I should have gotten but I don't get is uh, microdosing THC and CBD in a full-spectrum blend. Um I'm not buying no dog shit opiates or prescription drugs. And I'm also not buying dog shit CBD at some gas station. I'm using the highest quality there is. I can promise you, highest quality there is. Microdose, uh, Lumi gummies, these are, you know, low sugar, uh, nothing artificial whatsoever, gluten-free, organic. It is the best shit you can find. And I promise you, you will feel better physically and mentally. So sign up and I will approve you. If you're a paintball player, I want to help you feel better. Uh, EndlessPaintClub.com. Um, aside from that, this show is brought to you by, you know, not really anyone, honestly. Uh, shout out to Infamous Paintball and Pro DNA. Uh, they're not sponsoring the show yet, but I love them. And Trav and Callie and all those guys do a lot for me. So I'm going to say they're bringing this to you as well. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. Shout out to uh, shout out to Yingling. Um, that's not a sponsor either, but I hope to get them in the future because Yingling is what patriots drink. You know, if you're going to drink a beer, you may as well drink one that was invented way back in the beginning years of this country. I mean, the forefathers were drinking Yingling when they were fighting off the Redcoats and winning our independence. So Thank you, Yingling, for not necessarily sponsoring me, but making a good, affordable lager that keeps me feeling patriotic. <laughs> Anyways, let's get to the show. <laughs> uh, Zizek, my brother, welcome Hi, to Paintball Passport. Yeah, I feel 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 great to be here. You know, Yingling, that's a great shout out. They're, they're the oldest brewery in America. Did you know that? I did. I am very educated in Yingling. And, uh, I was on the bottom. Yeah. Did did you happen to go and tour the Yingling factory in Pottsville, which is only about 30 miles from the uh, Philadelphia event? I have not. This year, you have to go. It is right near NXL Philly. Yeah. Yingling. You know, when the Bud Light, uh, when everyone started boycotting Bud Light, um, I was one of them. And... I drank young young Ling instead. Ooh. It's refreshing. It's crisp. You know, I don't know if it's as crisp as a Bud Light, 
um, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about ending my boycott because Bud Light's so delicious, but, um, you know, Youngling is a, is a good beer. Okay. Um, you know what? I am one of those people who is never going to try to convince anyone else of anything, but I guess we'll agree to disagree here because I feel like unless Bud or Bud Light or any of those are ice ice cold, they are undrinkable, almost watery beers to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll say my bias is I like a rich, flavorful beer. Um, you can't drink as many Yinglings or like, let's say Guinness as you can Bud Light or Coors. But uh, I like that it's delicious and, you know, it's an amber uh, lager flavor, but it's still about that same price as Bud Light. So it's always been my go-to beer. My dad was always drinking it when I was a kid. So, you know, I was raised looking for Yingling. Have you, uh, have you ever had a Taiwan beer? Called It's called Taiwan beer? I want to say I have once because I go to like these BevMo like bottle shops and I try beer from all over the world, but I, I couldn't be a hundred percent sure. What was the beer that was really popular in Thailand? Chang. Chang beer. Chang beer. Yep. Chang Chang beer is good. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you said Thailand, but you know what the problem with the Chang beer is? I forget what it is. It's brewed with like one extra thing that Americans aren't used to. So your first couple times out there drinking it, you get what they call the chain over. <laughs> mm. I got a Chang over once and it was yeah. because it wasn't because of Chang. It, well, I got Chang and uh, Devin Stutz who works at die. Um, I was living when I lived in Taiwan, he was my roommate, one of my roommates and he put a foam killer in my beer. You know what a foam killer is? No. It's a shot of liquor. So Ooh. he put a shot of vodka he had the bartender put a shot of vodka in my oh. Chang beer. It could have been a Taiwan beer, but he put a shot of vodka in there and I didn't know it. I didn't taste it. I just drank it. I just drank one beer that night and I got hung over and I was like, what happened? Like, I just drank one beer and he's like, I gotcha. He told me after. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, you know, you know I, I got a Chang story too, actually. Um, the very first time I was in Thailand was 2011 for Pals Bangkok. Mm-hmm. I was with Buddy Bauer and Shockwave Canada. And, you know, there was a few of us U.S. guys and a few well-known Canadian players. And that was what set me off on the whole obsession with traveling and international. Whatever. Anyways, we get there the first day. Probably doesn't help that, you know, it's a really long flight over there. So you're kind of like already jet lagged and not feeling great. And we were like, fuck it, waste no time, right? We've never been here before. Let's go out and do shit. And we went out in nightlife mode. Like we went out at 10 o'clock and we, I only had a few Changs, you know, like three or four of them, but with some drinks, like we would get shots at each bar and whatever. And it's when Chang mixes with alcohol. I think, like you said, that's when it gives you the Chang over. So Mm. we're having a great night. We're wiling out, you know, there's, it's not even a PG rated night. It's one of those classic fun Thailand nights, but what is it rated? (laughs) it's it's thailand but uh we get in at sunrise i remember the sun comes up we come back to our hotel the palazzo beautiful like five-star hotel that's like 30 bucks a night shockwave got works go to bed after eating a bunch of pizza we brought back from a local pizza hut dish knockoff with stuffed crust pizza and 
we did not wake up the next day. Like we went to bed at 7 a.m. And then I remember like kind of waking up to go to the bathroom and it was dark out already. I'm like, oh my God, we, we slept through the whole day, but I feel like dog shit. And I went back to bed and we woke up the following day at like 8 or 9 a.m. We woke up and it was like, it was like that, uh, that moment in Pineapple Express where we all looked at each other and we're like, wait, we, we slept for like 26 hours, man. What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, that's great. Yeah. So that's a uh, good one. Yeah, you know, the changeover is real. It, it wasted one of our fourteen days, but anyways, yeah, uh, good story is worth it, right? Yeah, very true. Um, Slept like a rock, but you know, it, I was going to uh, get right into like your favorite travel advent adventure, but I was just listening to one of your shows, and I. You know, I didn't know that you actually lived in Taiwan until that show. So I think that'd be a nice thing to talk about, like to get started. You talked a little bit about there, but yeah, dude, uh, paintball brings us crazy places. It's our passport to the world. And for you, sure. it brought you to Taiwan. So first of all, for anybody who didn't listen to that show, tell me like how that came about. Sure. So I was doing sales for Die at the time. And this was two, you know, it was 2009. Um, and is reaching the end of the year. And they're like, hey, we need we need help in in our Asia, Die Asia division, which is based out of Taiwan, Taichung, Taiwan. Yeah. Do you want to go over there for a year and grow the market, go to events and be the guy? And I was, you know, young guy and I thought living a year in Taiwan, I don't have any friends there. You know, it's going to be rough. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we're going to send Devin Stutz out there with you. And you'll have a, another roommate, Jeremy Klinsmith. Uh, I was like, ah, oh, still, you know, that's like two people. But I decided to go, right? It's for the experience. My mom was telling me, like, if you have an opportunity to live abroad, do it because you'll learn more at, you know, doing that than you will at any university. 100%. Go travel and learn about other people. So uh, being young and immature, I reluctantly said yes. And I should, it should have been a hell yes. Should have been a hell yes. But it was, it was a reluctant yes. Um, Cause I love San Diego where I lived, but I moved out there to Taiwan and it was like immediate culture shock. I'm the only person that looks the way I look there. Yeah. Um, and tattoos are frowned not frowned upon but criminals have tattoos theirs and and that's not a that's not a stereotype that's just a reality of their culture like Mm -hmm. you don't get tattoos unless you know you're a criminal i think it's more widely accepted now but when i was there it wasn't and uh dude it was just it was the craziest year of my life because i've experienced so many amazing things but I was also at the time missing home. I was homesick and complaining a lot. Like, oh, this is not like San Diego. You know, people people stare at me here and I don't like this. I don't like that. And, you know, for anyone who's listening to this that has an opportunity to travel or have an experience where you're living abroad, be in that moment. Live in that moment. Uh, recognize. Wake up. Look where you're at. Yeah. Look where you're at and, and, and embrace it. Um, so that's one thing that I wish I did is embraced it more like the, you know, just embrace living abroad more instead of missing home so much, but I still got to experience amazing things. So, man, I don't know where really where to start. Um, I can tell you a story 
about when I found out tattoos were not like a cool thing there. Please. Um, so uh, I lived in this big building, like a big apartment complex with four towers and a courtyard in the middle. Beautiful apartment. Um, Di really took care of me there. And uh, so I get in the elevator one day uh, to go down to work and a small child, maybe seven, eight years old is in there with his mom and the door opens. I, I begin to walk into the elevator and as soon as the kid s- sees me, he screams, he screams and then he goes to the corner of the elevator so he can't see me. Like j- just kind of like out of sight, out of mind. I'm going to hide from this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, no, no, it's okay. I'm nice. I'm nice. I'm nice. And I'm trying to like console this kid that's scared of me. And his wife is like, or his mom is like kind of looking at me like, don't get near him. Don't touch him. You evil man. So that's when I was like, wow, like maybe I should wear long sleeves, you know, <laughs> so I don't like freak out my neighbors, you know? So that's when I, I learned that lesson. You know, uh, no one speaks really, no one speaks English there. Oh, really? They don't. They don't really, they're not interested in really trying. Like you are in their country, like learn Mandarin or you're going to have a tough time. So, I didn't know that. Okay. You think it's all that now? It's tough to say. It's been so long, right? It's been over 13 years, 14 years since I've been there. So, you know, maybe they speak more English, but for the most part, you have to figure out the essential things to say. If you're getting in a taxi cab, you let it in your, you want to go travel. You better learn how to say high speed train in Mandarin, which is Gautier. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't even know if I pronounced it right there, but something like that. So, um, you know, and ordering food, you kind of have to use like this, like infants level, uh, of like sign language. Like if you want beef, it's like, <laughs> if you want chicken, it's like, you know, Yeah. so dude, it was just a crazy experience you know, moving somewhere where, you know, here in America, I'm, I'm kind of racially ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And in Taiwan, I am 100% a minority. Yes. You are, you know, I'm there and like people like you are different. Yeah. They had, you know, they had some Westerner owned businesses. Like some guy went there and built a diner. I think he was Canadian. They had a bar that was owned by Canadians called Foo Bar which was near my apartment. So, you know, they had some creature comforts for me, but like, other than that, dude, it was a huge step outside my comfort zone, but, uh, great times too, man. Great experiences. I'm sure great smells. You ever smell stinky tofu? I can't say I have not stinky tofu. Well, that maybe that's not what they call it. Maybe they just call it tofu. Um, but in the States, tofu doesn't smell like that. It doesn't smell at all. You're right. Here, you know, in, in Taiwan, they cook it on the streets and it smells kind of like, like this feet vinegary smell for blocks. Like you smell it from far away. And the first time I smelled, it, I was like, man, what is Devin? What is that? He's like, oh, that's, that's the stinky tofu. They love it here. They love it. I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's nasty. Weird. Walking around the streets, smelling fish everywhere. Open, really bad open fish markets too right like just fish hanging that type of thing actually the the open fish markets don't smell that bad it's when oh. you go you know go out into the city and it's like 
you know, you got maybe a seafood restaurant and you go behind there and it's like, what the heck is going on here? So it's like walking through this, the seats, the, 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 the streets of Taiwan has lots of smells. Everyone yeah. wears masks because there's lots of pollution there. This is before COVID. Mm-hmm. Everyone is wearing masks because the air quality is so bad. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, but dude, uh, can I tell a story about when I went hiking in Taiwan? You absolutely can. These are, I'm looking for all your best stories. So please continue. <laughs> so uh, I think it was called Daikun Mountain. And I was going with a friend. She's like, You want to go hiking? And I was like, All right, sure, let's do it. And she's like this outdoorsy person, you know, like really adventurous. She was Canadian. And, uh, and, you know, like, let's go on an adventure. So I was like, Sure. And I'm wearing shorts and you know running shoes and a t-shirt she's got like you know yoga pants on and like this like long sleeve like kind of rash guard type fitness apparel and so we start hiking up daikun mountain and and i'm feeling like these little tickles on my leg like the whole time and i'm just kind of ignoring it it's like i probably just sweat dripping down my leg and you know making me tickle or itch so i didn't pay pay much mind to it and then the whole way down, I'm doing the same thing. Like the, I'm just feeling like these little things on my leg. And towards the end, I, I just happened to look down and there was a flea, like the size of a pea. Ooh. That, that's a big flea. That's a huge it's, flea. Fleas that, that I'm used to in the States, you can barely see them. They're like a tiny little black speck. Like a and if you squish it, you're not going to feel it. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's that small. Dude, these fleas... Like I could see their teeth, like they're just Ooh. enormous. And what was tickling my legs the whole time all over was not sweat. It was like these gigantic fleas eating my flesh. Oh my God. So Jeez. my legs are itching. I'm like, what the heck's going on? How many times did I get bit? It's the whole, the whole hike. This is happening to me. I'm feeling this. So I go home, I take a nap. I wake up and you, Joe. You can't see a single, like a single inch, a single centimeter of non-bitten leg. Like, oh my god! From from my shorts all the way down to my ankles, where my socks were, it is covered in these 100%. giant bites. Like a hundred percent, all covered in bites. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm probably gonna get some kind of crazy disease from this. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. there's hundreds, hundreds of bites on on my legs both of them it looked like i had like leprosy the next day so it, this was so bad that you ever scratch a dog's leg or you know, their belly and their leg kind of like goes like that mm-hmm. that's that's actually i learned that's involuntary and i learned that in the shower i would put the hot water shower like the hot water you know shower head i'd put it and spray my legs because the hot water felt so good on the bites because they itch so bad but when i did that my leg would do the thing that that dog's legs do like it would tremble like do 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 from from itching so bad oh so so um and i feel bad you know i kind of like cursed my friend for this like he didn't tell me there's fleas and she didn't know you know yeah yeah but uh but that was like a gnarly experience where i saw this incredible view on top of this mountain and the the memory of that kind of got overshadowed by my flea attack. <laughs> oh, 
Man, I I am sorry to hear that. That sounds miserable. And hopefully it didn't ruin too many days afterwards, right? Oh, dude, weeks for weeks. My my, like again, like there's no there's no normal colored skin that you could see. It was all bites. Yeah. So it was like you know I'm putting like this Taiwanese green oil on it and everything. Like yeah, some type of aloe itch. Yeah. Dude, I you ever have any foreign bugs get you? Uh, yeah, I have, I, I have a few stories, The the one I have similar to that was, um, after a Mexico tournament with my buddy Harrison and our friends Buckley and, uh, a guy named Goon up here in the Northwest, we went to Utila, which is the scuba diving training capital over here on the Western hemisphere. It is a Island off of Honduras. If you want to get certified at the cheapest possible price, it's just an island of like cool little scuba shops. There's maybe 3,000 people on the whole island. Half are locals. The other half are dive masters and dive instructors. And one of the nights about halfway through, um, I stayed out with a few people from my particular boat. Like you just kind of chill with your dive class because you're on the same schedule for two weeks straight. You know, you're, you're up early taking tests and doing a lot of written work and book stuff. And then you go out for two to three dives and then you come in by like six o'clock, enjoy the sunset. And then weirdly enough, you all stay up drinking Honduras beers and like partying the one little like night strip of stuff for until anywhere from like midnight. to we're always like, okay, we're going to be in by like 11 midnight. It ends up being like 3 a.m. And then you pop up hungover to then go learn how to deep sea scuba dive the next day at like 7 a.m. It's, it's stupid. It's a weird culture on this island where you're like, we should not be like still drunk or whatever when we're diving a hundred feet down. This is stupid. But anyways, one of the nights we're out and we're like, I'm with uh, this one very cool German girl. That's like, I know this part of the island that has a cool beach and the water there is different over on this side, moonlight, whatever. We're sitting on the beach, just hanging out, drinking the beers and when we're walking back to like meet people at the little party bar, that's kind of like a mini club. We're like kind of itchy. And then we get in the light and we look down, same thing, our fucking legs and our forearms, everything exposed was red bumps from not fleas, but like these tiny micro sand flies. Like you didn't see that you were in out of bugs. Right. But we were just getting fucking eaten alive sitting on the sand at night. And then we came in, they're like, oh, yeah, you you don't go to the beach when the sun's down. I'm like, that was <laughs> stupid of you. And we're like, oh, my God. So, Thanks yeah, the whole rest, the only time that we would feel good was when you were diving. Like, at least you were way down in the ice cold water. But during the daytime, like, just itchy as a motherfucker from thousand bug bites. Sand flies. That's a, uh, yeah. That, and did any bug that, like, gets its sustenance from human blood i just i'm not a fan leeches ticks fleas mosquitoes just go to hell all of you you agreed it's i get it it's like the circle of life thing like they are food chain for something but i feel like there's enough flies and other bugs to feed birds and bats like why on earth if there is a creator or whatever why mosquitoes why any of these things that suck your blood and then could give you horrible diseases. It's fucking ridiculous, dude. So I I've looked into this because like I yeah, you know, like 
it's like, why do these creatures exist? So mosquitoes is one of them I looked up. It turns out they're essential to the environment. Stupid mosquitoes. Not only are they food for creatures, mosquitoes are the tiniest pollinators, believe it or not. Oh, so they pollinate. They do pollinate. So little bastards, got to keep them around. Ticks, on the other hand, I don't, I don't get that. Like, what purpose do they serve? Maybe the same thing in mosquitoes in a way of like a lot of those things are population control. You know, it's just one, it's like you need wolves because if there's no wolves and you have too many deer, you end up with shitloads of starving deer. So mm. there's this homeostasis in life where it's like even the stupidest thing, you're like, oh, I guess we need you out there killing things or causing, you know, plague or else we would overpopulate and there'd be mass famine. And, you know, I, I mean, in a way, it's terrible because the empathetic side of you is like, you wish that didn't happen. But then there's this like Thanos side of me that's like, yeah, I guess we kind of do need half of everything to die here eventually. Or like <laughs> the world is going to become like that Elysium movie and yeah. we're just going to be all living in filth and like starving to death anyways. So, yeah, it's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we need we need the bugs, you know, Um mm-hmm. You know, in Thailand, they have bug carts. You ever eat at a bug cart? Oh, I I always eat the bug cart, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Do you call them bug carts? That's what I call them. Um, I call them street carts, and it just depends what it is. Like, I've seen the ones with birds still alive in cages. They kill it right there for you. I've seen it with weird, different fish and, like, um, you know, reptiles and amphibians that you've never seen before in that country. And then, of course all sorts of like deep fried or chocolate dipped like cockroaches, scorpions, tarantulas. And I've eaten every one of them I've seen. Yeah. Like a lot of people freak out when I tell them about the bug cart, (laughs) but I mean, the reality is right. They don't have access to abundance of animal protein. Mm -hmm. So they eat bugs and don't they smell great? Like when they're sauteing the bugs and like garlic and salt and pepper and stuff like yeah. that, they smell, they smell great. Right. For sure. So, and they don't taste bad either. Like the scorpion kind of tasted to me like a, like a pork rind or like kind of like the soft shell crab type thing. Um, and I ate a cockroach that was sauteed and it's disgusting to say that, but when you, when you're there and it's just like, kind of like the street food, it's not, it's really not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Except for like you're going to like you're, I was holding this scorpion by the stinger, and I'm like going to take a bite, and it's kind of like this dead scorpion's like looking at me. It's kind of a trip. Yeah, but um, I think the scorpion was the best tasting out of out of all of them. Grasshoppers, cockroaches, all of it. Mm-hmm. I I agree. The scorpion's the scariest, but normally it is the best. Uh, when eaten plain or like not dressed up, but. Um, even in places over here, like Mexico, I've had a few different places where they do like the cricket or grasshopper barbecued in like tacos. And if you didn't open it up or see your friend with like little grasshopper teeth or feet between their teeth, if you just like closed it and you were eating in a dark room, you'd be like, Oh, this is delicious. It's just like crunchy Mexican ish tasting barbecue. So yeah, I like it. Yeah. I think the United States might end up eating more bugs than we're we're currently accustomed to, mm-hmm. and that that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, but yeah, man, over there it's like it's 
that's just what it is. Like they don't, they don't have a ton of protein. So they make these little snacks and it's like, you know, I hope the bugs are clean. I think they're clean. Yeah. People are eating them. There's a lot of them, but that was one of the, that was one of my experiences in Thailand was eating bugs and enjoying it. But there is, there's just a lot, like there's a lot of things that happen in Thailand that I could talk about. And bugs um, is probably the least of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't got to stay on bugs for 20 minutes. Um, I will say that they are pure protein. It's yeah. just crunch. It doesn't really have a lot of flavor. Um, it's super cheap. And at least it's not like, you know, I've had a few friends who went and did the Super Cup in Africa thing. And I know in a lot of parts of Africa, they do that thing where they take the double stick net. They just collect swarms of mosquitoes and roll that up. And you eat like a mosquito ball that's charred on the fire. That sounds horrific to me. Um, any other bug, I'm honestly fine with. Occasionally, I'll just randomly try one because. You want to be adventurous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, mosquitoes are gross because they suck blood. Like, I don't want to eat a mosquito burger. I don't want to eat anything made with. In fact, on Spick and Span show, they were just talking about mosquito burgers and they had a picture of it and it just looked like it was hundreds of thousands of mosquitoes compressed into this gooey mass. That's all this. Yeah, flattened. It's disgusting. It is the most horrific looking thing. So yeah, at least a cricket crispened up. You're like, oh, it's a cricket, but the little pokers and stuff sticking out every which way and almost even bits of the wing from a mosquito, which is already the grossest bug. It's... (laughs) It's brutal. Anyways, we, we can get past the whole bug and mosquito thing. What I was going to ask you about for Taiwan is like, why I was excited about this conversation is, you know, most people I know haven't been to Taiwan. Even if they went to places like Thailand or like Bali, Indonesia, nobody really goes to Taiwan. And I haven't either. So like, this is exciting because a lot of the people that I'm going to have on or have already had on, we talk about places where I have to think about the questions to ask because I already have seen it. Like I know it. I don't know shit about Taiwan. So like when you said nobody really speaks English there, that was surprising. Everywhere else I've been, people are like raised speaking English and it might sound broken, but they speak it. But like Taiwan almost seems more like the France of Asia where barely anyone speaks English and they don't give a fuck about trying to speak it to you. They're like, we're not even going to try to meet you halfway. Yeah. Um, like. <laughs> The concierge people that ran the apartment building, they would they would try, hello, thank you, goodbye, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but everyone else does not care. Like, oh, you're okay, you're visiting from somewhere, you can't communicate. Well, tough. Learn learn Mandarin. You know, it's yeah. Like, um, and it's not. It's they didn't say that. They don't have that attitude. But that's the reality of living there. It's like everyone speaks Mandarin. That's just how it is. Yeah. And I found some businesses that. You know, like I said, we're Canadian owned and they'd speak English. But other than that, dude, it's like you really got to you really got to figure it out. You are the like I said, you're the minority mm-hmm. in that country. If you're, you know, an American dude. So, OK, so when you are that minority, this I was curious of, is it like they kind of like eh, they don't really pay attention to you? Are they like surprised when they see you in the area or like my example is when we were in mainland Indonesia, this isn't Bali with all the tourists and, you know, yoga people. This is like Lake Toba. 
anywhere me and little Ben hopped out to check out a waterfall, we'd be taking pictures of the waterfall and the people would come up and ask to take a picture with us because yeah. they're like, holy fucking shit, you're a white person. Like, what are you doing here? This isn't a tourist spot. You know what I mean? Is it, is it like that at all where you're kind of almost celebrity ish in some way? No, I wish it was, but mm-hmm. it's, it, you do get it. You do get attention. It's just negative. Like, you know, like staring at you or, you know, if you're walking towards someone and they're walking towards you on the street, they cross the street, huh? you know, that kind of thing. And, and granted there's different parts of, of, of Taiwan. I can't lump all of Taiwan together. I lived in an industrial area called Taichung and, you know, it's not like a big city like Taipei where people probably do speak more English and are more, you know, there's a lot of foreigners in Taipei. A lot of people go there to work. Um, and so there's more English speakers there. But where I lived in Taichung, it was it was like that, where, you know, I was different and people, you know, whatever, wh- what, however I looked to them, raised some, some flags or some suspicions. And, you know, probably it, it's, and it's the first time I've ever experienced that, you know, where it's like, you know, it's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling judged because I look different. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, and I never knew, I never knew what that was like to feel. So what a perspective cool. change, right? Cause that's how a yeah. lot of people feel even in our own country. Exactly. Where, you know, and, and we are, it's weird to think about that way. I've learned that perspective shift while traveling too. Like when we're here, we don't think about it at all, especially by being like a white male in the U S or even in a lot of places you go, you just, you never have a thought of like feeling different. And if you're a good hearted person, you don't treat other people different. You know what I mean? Like I, I just try to see people as the person. Um, I know cultures are different, but like the color doesn't matter, but then you get to those places and you're like, Oh shit. I'm like this. I, I feel like an alien. Like maybe I'm not even being treated worse or better, but they're just treating me different than each other. And it's, they don't know what to make of you. Like, what yeah. is this? Who is this guy? Why is he here? Yeah. Like this is not a tourist place, Tai Chung. Why is he why is he here? Yeah. yeah. Do you feel but, that you know, it, oh, go ahead? Well, it really made me appreciate um people that speak other languages as well. Because yeah. I, I remember younger feeling frustrated if I couldn't understand something someone was saying because they had an accent. Yeah. Or English was their second language. And I remember feeling frustrated with those people. And then until I got older and grew up and I realized like, wait a second, this person speaks two languages and maybe they don't speak my language as good as I do, but they, they speak more languages than I do. So respect, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and it made me more patient too, because me having to try and speak broken Mandarin to get to the high speed train or get to wherever, you know, made me realize too, it's like, I only speak one language and I'm struggling to speak this language. So maybe when, I hear people speaking multiple languages. I show them a little respect. Yeah. So it was a, it was a growth opportunity there too, you know? That's well said, dude. I think about that every time I travel where, you know, there are those people, I call them Disney tourists, just like the piece of shit American families that have no regard for anybody. They don't, you know, they're never like, please and thank you. They're just like, waiter. You know what I mean? Just they're terrible people. And you see them <laughs> treat people like the the workers right like just the the waiter or like the person cleaning the garbage tree you see them treat them like lesser people but anytime i talk to anybody over there and they're talking to me back in english 
or I ask them like, what's my total? And I see them do math in English, not their first language and answer me, regardless of how broken or the accent. I'm like, you know, in a way, this person is smarter than me or has worked harder at something. And granted, there's all sorts of intelligences, right? Like there are doctors that might not be as socially intelligent as you and I, but they're more educated in something. But something my brain cannot do yet, no matter how hard I fucking try learning Spanish, is like think in Spanish and just become fluent, right? And here these people are, it doesn't matter what their job is, they're they're doing it, you know, they're speaking to you in your tongue. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, dude, traveling gives you experiences and opens your mind in ways that school cannot. You learn more about the world, you learn more about people and as a whole, traveling and learning about other cultures. So uh, it was immensely positive experience, you know, like it was challenging, you know, finding food that I like to eat. They have these like basically like fish hot dogs there. That's like a bunch of different fish meats compressed into this little thing. Then they slice it and put it in your ramen. That's gross. But they had some good stuff, dude. <laughs> Worth a try. Um, yeah. So I guess other details I'd want to know that I don't are. So you said you're not treated differently, like in a good way. It's not positive attention. It's not anything like that. Uh, Something I remember about Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, um, and some of these countries are more like conservative, like Muslim culture countries. But by being the American, you know, and the last time I went to Asia was 2018. It's been a while, unfortunately, it was before COVID. But by being an American guy, I got more female attention than I would Mm -hmm. here in the U.S., you know, I mean, yeah. it was that same thing of like, if you see an exotic girl here, she stands out from all the other girls around you. Growing up in Buffalo, every person in my high school looks the same, right? The first time you get the foreign exchange student, she's just prettier to you than a, than most of them in, because of a different way. And I realized yeah. that was what was working for me over there. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm the I'm the white guy. They're not used to the blue eyes or this skin, so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just an average looking guy until recently. I've had no money in the bank account, but women over there treated me like better, or it was easier to go on random dates than it's ever been here in the U S where it's more about like your success or your status or whatever. So did you find in that time you were there, did you date? Was that easy? Uh, what was that like? Yeah, it dating was easy there. I definitely dated, um, I dated some people that were visiting from Canada that were teachers and, um, and then a couple locals. Um, and yeah, I get, I mean, I guess it was easy, you know, like maybe not eat. I don't know. I, I've never had, it's never been super difficult, you know, for yeah. like dating. Um, but there were, you know, there were, a couple locals that it's like you could kind of tell that they were looking for a foreigner, a foreigner, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that and it's funny. Cause like my buddy, Devin, he met his wife over there in Taiwan and he you know, like, you know, they started dating when, when I lived over there with him and he ended up marrying her. And that's like, you know, that, that's like the dream for a lot of those girls is they want to get married and get their, their citizenship. Yeah. Um, 
hundred percent. So it's like, I think it could be, you know, easier. Like, you know, if it, if, if you're having trouble on getting dates and you are, uh, you know, you're, you're an American, uh, go to Taiwan and you probably won't have a trouble, any trouble getting a date, you know, but, um, well, said. I I didn't mean like necessarily like they're easy, but I mean, it's like, there's that, that dichotomy, right. That like, there's that appeal. Yeah. Where you're, you're a little bit more interesting. They, they already know all the guys around them and what, uh, you know, Taiwan guy is like, or girl, let's say the vice versa, but then they see you and they're like, there's just something intriguing where they're like, well, I, I've always wanted to date an American or, or at least go on a date tonight with them. It doesn't have to be a, a, a relationship thing. And, you know, I, I, I used to very much enjoy that part of traveling uh, so much uh, just because it was, it was perspective changing. It was confidence boosting for sure. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was unique. You know, I, I never wanted to be treated like a, a celebrity or anything weird like that, but it was just here you're one in a million it's hard to stand out there you're like the catch and now i know kind of more what it's like i guess to be a woman because women have their (laughs) you have their pick of the litter right like if you're a pretty girl you can just any day go out and get a date that night and for me it felt like that over there and it's always funny (laughs) to hear the other people who get those experiences where they're like oh yeah you know like tinder was off the charts every person was a match (laughs) Well, so I, I exited the dating pool after Tinder or before, before Tinder was invented. Mm -hmm. So I never knew what it's like using Tinder and dude, I wasn't like, I wasn't in Taiwan, like some Casanova, just like, you know, dating girls all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and the girls that the local Taiwanese girls that I dated were, they spoke English. Um, so I think they dated other foreigners too. Um, but I think it could be easier, you know, like, I think it is like, I think that, like you said, you have that kind of like that foreign appeal, but I think a lot of it, dude, and I don't, I don't mean this to sound any type of negative way, but I think, you know, a lot of them are kind of looking for citizenship. Green yep, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, so you kind of got to be upfront, you know, like I'm here for a year there's not going to be anything serious. Like I'm going to have to leave soon and you know, your dreams may not come true. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. I'll say, you know, it's not like when you're going over there for paintball, you don't have time to just gallivant and date all day, every day. But when it happens naturally, like when you're at the coffee shop and they just seem to be very eye contact or flirty or whatever, I used to always be the one where it's like, well, uh, I'm going to, you know, confidently pursue this thing. And it would work like 99% of the time. And uh, it would, it would work by just like being respectful and like polite and, you know, sweet. Like there's that romance still where here it might not work. Like you talk to somebody that doesn't know you, especially in person out and about, it can be almost a little weird sometimes because they're like, all right, unless you're about to ask something, what do you want from me or whatever? And you're just trying to like, I don't know, small talk and conversation and see if there's a chemistry. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I've never been to Taiwan, but I remember in a Amsterdam event, I landed in Berlin first, and the first girls I met in a Berlin club were Taiwan girls. Weirdly enough, me and my friend met a group of Taiwan girls, and 
something I noticed about them, aside from being like the shy, sweet, giggly or whatever, is they all had fake contacts. Yeah. Thing back then for you. Yeah. Yeah. They, they rid of the brown eyes. You know, they want the blue or the green or whatever. Yes. And almost digital looking like the little squares yeah. or like stop snowflakes, but they all had like these just like super sharp, unique eyes. And I'd, I'd look at them be like, your eyes are fucking beautiful. What is going on here? And I'd be like getting close and they'd be like, Oh, they're, they're lenses. And I'm like, I was going to say, I don't know what you are that you are, but I, yeah, I thought they were like some type of I'm like, is this what they're born with over here? <laughs> Their eyes are basically black, but they put on these contacts. Like, Oh, Ooh. look at that. You know, in Taiwan, maybe in Thailand too, uh, not only do they put colored uh, contacts in, but they also, some of them use skin products that lighten their skin. Mm -hmm. It's so funny because here, you know, in Western society, like we're trying to make our skin darker and, and, and like being tan is like appealing, you know, whereas like over in Taiwan, if you're tan, it means that you work outside. Yeah. yeah. So they want to, they want to buy the, and, and big name companies, you know, skincare companies make products to cater to these people like mm -hmm. oil of Olay. It's like a famous skincare brand. They make skin lightening lotions over there. So it's kind of interesting, like the different, the different, uh, I guess, fashion trends or like what's popular. True. You know, based on culture, hey, you know, hey, Joe, us. yeah. Um, would it be possible for me to go pee? It's funny you say that because I was about to want to go do that too. So <laughs> let's take a 30 second break and we'll be right okay. back. All right, cool. Sweet. <laughs> uh, Guys, I am tech illiterate. I don't know how to pause this thing, and I don't want to accidentally end it. So I am going to uh, go pee, and there's going to be a 30-second break. Wait. Is there a pause? Yeah, there's a pause button up there. I don't see the pause. Or you can just keep recording and cut this out, whatever. We're going to... Oh. So, yeah, man, pretty interesting that uh, people from different cultures think that their, their opinion their their perspective on beauty is different you know mm -hmm. based on different things in their culture so yeah that's an, another pretty cool thing about taiwan you know yeah i i like that here we can want to be tan because it's like oh they have time to be outside in the sun you know <laughs> what i mean like they're on the beach they're tan it's beautiful right or just like the golden glow looks healthy and over there they have they want that porcelain white in, yeah. in taiwan and china and a few of those places and it's because like oh if they're out in the sun they're they're labor, labor. so yeah. hopefully you're just inside pampered all day uh in your ac and yeah it's just yeah. very unique you know like neither is right or wrong i guess I, i'd prefer to be in the sun for the vitamin d and being out in nature but um, I don't know at all. It all looks pretty. You can, you can appreciate every type of beauty in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like someone's, someone is beautiful when they carry themselves like a beautiful person. So as long as you do that, you know, you're, you're attractive. That's true. That, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's a good segue right there to, uh, a little bit of a deeper thing that I, I like to ask these questions about when people travel is before you had traveled, 
this international place, you know, um, you said you were even reluctant to go there. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't really know you beyond the you that I've had conversations with only just recently, recent years in paintball. So were you, you know, what, what, I know you're very intelligent, but what type of person were you before that? Like, as far as more introverted, extroverted, like social type scale. How do you know I'm very intelligent, Joe? Is that an assumption? Um, no, because when I hear you speak, um, you can you can tell if people are dummies. You know what I mean? Like there's people where it's like they say five things and you're like, all right, this person is not very intelligent. <laughs> Shut right up. Here. Stop dying. Yeah. But Thanks. also you are a good friend to my good friend, Master Chris Lasoya. Mm-hmm. And I was just chatting with him the other day because I'd like to have him on the show. And I told him the story about how we got to here and that I was having you on soon because you just had me on Go Sports, which was sweet. Um, and he was like, oh, you're going to love talking to Isaac. And I'm like, yeah, I already like talking to Isaac. He's like, that dude is one of the most intelligent guys I know. So he will have a lot of like that actual perspective that you're looking for. Not just the first we went here, we went in the beach, then we, you know what I mean? Like, and this has been that type of conversation so far. So, yeah. I just spoke with Chris too, right before I hopped on the podcast and, uh, dude, that guy will have some stories that you may, I mean, you may need to get a, a different rating for on your, I don't know if you can just release that into the public, his stories, cause he's going to, he's, he's going to have some gnarly ones. I know. I told him I want them all. I, I want those stories. So <laughs> dude, talk about a guy that's lived a freaking rock star life from paintball. That's for sure. Right yeah. But uh, so before, before, uh, what was I like before I traveled? Yeah. Yeah. Probably just like every other guy in his early to mid twenties, um, thinking, you know, that I know everything and, uh, that I'm God's gift to the world and to women. Mm. Um, and so how to, you know, how to learn, like, that's what you just do. That's what you do in your twenties. Like you, you, you learn that you're not as grown up as you thought you are. And you learn that, you know, the, the older you get, the dumber you were. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that, um, before that, before my travels, I was just like a kind of like this party party kid Mm -hmm. that wanted to have a good time all the time. Yep. And, uh, didn't know much about the world. Okay. So, we had a little bit of a different path then because um, and I'll say, I think a lot of it was just cause I was like way overweight till a year or two after college, but I was like unconfident and kind of a toxic piece of shit coming out of Buffalo, New York yeah. into like my early twenties, probably until about 22, maybe 23. So I was not like a, I know everything King shit. I guess the different thing that would happen there is you were at like, the peak of paintball, you know, you're a world champ with Ironman. Like you would have reason to be like maybe cockier than you should, or think, you know, it all. Cause you, you've achieved a lot in your realm. But for me, I was a nothing and uh, didn't really value myself a ton. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until I like, you know, had a, a certain uh, psychedelic experience that made me like start respecting myself a lot more. And uh, I like, you know, got very serious about, working out and eating right, lost all the weight, got in great shape, listened to more podcasts and books rather than just rap music. 
And then I kind of became the me that everyone knows now. Um, but still, okay, wait, 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 what psychedelic experience? Tell me about that. Like that, that spurred all this. What did, yeah, what did you take? Yeah, for sure. Was uh, so I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be very uh, open on this podcast and that's why I'm going to get people's R rated stories. Cause this, well, those other podcasts got to keep it PG, but for here, I want the stories, you know, and, um, I remember I had taken a kind of more heroic dose of psilocybin mushrooms. Where um, were you? I, <laughs> I was at my college campus, University uh -huh. of Buffalo in New York. And, uh, you know, I had tried it before, but in like the wrong way, like coming up in college or whatever, I had tried doing it like while at a, a frat party, like in a musty basement, playing pong, already drunk, things that didn't, wasn't respecting the medicine and it didn't give sure. me what I needed out of it. Instead, it just gave me like maybe the visuals or whatever. But, yeah. you know, I had this one, we, we had this group that lived in a apartment number 1205. So it was like a 1205 group. They were all paintballers too. A lot of them my college team. And we started like trying to like do these experiences together the right way just going on like long nature walks, like whole day things and uh, being more respectful of it. And then like having conversations about like what we were thinking or like different, um, you know, eureka moments that we were realizing stuff about life that was different than what we thought. But there was this one particular one. It was on Christmas day after I got back from, I, I had moved after I graduated college 2012 to Florida was there for like about a year, tried out for damage, didn't make the cut, moved back, went on this journey with my friends where we just walked around the bike path around the campus um, tripping, you know, but it's not like you're like fucked up, you know, like you're, the visuals are crazy, but I, I want people to understand it's not like crackheads or like people that are even really drunk and like belligerent. No, it's more like you're tripping hard in a way of like your brain is opening up and making more neural connections than it ever has. And you're like, Oh my God, the thing holding me back is me. Like I have that toxic habit and that's the reason that I'm 80 pounds overweight, blah, 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 all those things. And so it really just, it pulled the veil off. It, it made me stop hiding from myself and it made me like, it, it just really, it brought all those things that you kind of like bury or ignore about you or about life to the surface where you can't, you can't ignore them anymore. Like they're right there in the frontal cortex of your brain. And you're like, it's glaring me in the face. And now if I don't do something about it, then I'm an even bigger piece of shit because before I was ignorant, but now I know, like now I'm yeah. into the therapy and I get it. So I got to fucking do this shit. And then I, you know, just became like as positive as I could in every way. That's it changed your life. <laughs> yeah. It impacted you. You were going one direction and you hit this thing. Yep. And your life changed course afterwards. For sure. For sure. Like literally the wrong direction at first, all the way, just kind of paintball was my only thing I cared about still is my favorite thing, but it was the only thing that gave me anything to keep me out of like jail or violent situations or, you know, there was a lot of that in that early part of life where a lot of my friends around me or the people I associate with either ended up dead from overdose or dead from DWI or jail or ruined life from three DWIs. And now they're just walking to 
some landscaping job every day in their 30s. All of that was all around me. And the only thing keeping me off most of that was paintball. But this experience was like, all right, um, you're related to the five nearest people. And it seems like your acquaintance group are all pieces of shit. And now that I think about it, you're kind of a piece of shit too. And it's only a matter of time before you go to jail or you whatever. So you need to like figure your shit out. And then I just, I did that. Dude, uh, I had a, an experience, my first experience ever on psilocybin, um, was like a, this, this unlocking moment for me as well. It wasn't personal. It was about the world and people and the connectedness of everything and the undeniable for me, the undeniable truth that there, there is a creator. I couldn't deny like it was just in my face. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, first time I ever went to Amsterdam, I think it was like 2004 or five. And, uh, uh, that was actually, so that first trip in Amsterdam was the first time I ever got high on marijuana. <laughs> I was, uh, hanging out with Travis day who played for aftershock and, and, uh, rage. For a couple of, rage. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know his name. You do. So, do. um, he was a hang out with Travis day. He likes to smoke the pot and, uh, he's like, you ever <laughs> been high before? And I was like, no. So I was smoking with him in his hotel room and he kept asking me, you feel it, you feel it, you feel it. And I was like, no, I don't think so. But I had never been stoned. So I didn't know when I was there yet. Yeah. Until I was really, really stoned. And he was flipping through channels and he never picked one. He just kept flipping. And it's like, man, he's gone around the horn a couple times now. Mm-hmm. And so like after a few minutes of Travis flipping through channels, I just started busting up. It's like, cause he's not picking anything. And I just thought that it was hilarious <laughs> that he was flipping through channels. You know, I, again, first time I was high. Um, so that was my first experience with marijuana was in Amsterdam with Travis day. First time I ever got stoned. And that kind of like made me like, well, maybe drugs aren't so bad. You know, I don't, I don't like, maybe this isn't, what I think it is like, I, like marijuana always had this really bad stigmatism growing up and it was illegal in the States back then. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that experience kind of opened my eye, my, 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 my eyes and my mind to trying different things. Um, I, I am opposed to hard drugs. Like, I don't think there's any reason to try heroin. I don't think there's any reason to try meth. You know, Crack. like a, yeah, like you know, stay away. I, I, I stay away from that stuff. But life ruiners. Yeah, life ruiners. Things that like, why would you do a drug where the very first time you do it, you are addicted to it? Yeah, heroin. Like you're going. Like if you try it, you're done. You're gonna, yeah. you're, you're going to get addicted. So 100%. not about that. But but so the, anyway, that experience opened my eyes to trying different things. So, um, later. I went back to Amsterdam. Maybe when I went, it was like 2002 or 2003. And then I went back with the Ironman is 2005. Yeah. So when I went back with the Ironman, uh, I decided to try something else. And there was a group of us and it was like, you know, let's try, let's try mushrooms. I'd never done it before. And, you know, it was, I had the when in Rome type mentality for sure. Like, let's try it. So we go to a coffee shop 
And I'm like, you know what, what kind of mushrooms are for beginners? Like, I've never done this before. I don't want to freak out. Right. You don't, you know, you don't want to have a bad trip. So they say, so he's like, oh, here you go. You know, there's these things called sorcerer's stones. And, sorcerer's you know, stone. Yeah. They make you feel it. like, they make you feel like, uh, you know, happy and elated and, you know, you feel it in your body a little. I'm like, okay. Like, am I going to see crazy stuff? No, nah, no, you won't see anything on these. Okay, great. So we got them. A bunch of us ate them. The recommended, recommended dosage from the guy, like didn't take a hero dose or anything, just took what was recommended. And so we're kind of just roaming the streets of Amsterdam. We're like in the coffee shop, red light district. You know, it's beautiful there. There's cobblestone streets. There's bridges going over the canal. It's just mm-hmm. beautiful place, it's right? Stunning. Stunning. And, you know, the, the cobblestones are like different shades of purple and red, right? Yeah. You're familiar. You've been there. So we're walking around, you know downtown Amsterdam. And the moment I realized that I was starting to feel the effects of the psilocybin was I was wearing a hooded hooded sweatshirt that was a zip up. And I remember this thought process. I was feeling like I can feel this sweatshirt on my skin, but (laughs) I can't feel the shirt underneath it. I can't feel this thing. And then I thought, why am I even thinking that? Like, why is this thought process going through my head? And then it's, I'm like, oh, I'm on, I'm experiencing the thing I'm mm-hmm. supposed to, like starting to feel this thing, like starting to feel these this stuff happening. So I start to recognize that my, my mind is changing a little and I'm starting mm-hmm. to think weird things. I'm starting to feel weird things. And as I'm processing this, I see this guy, <laughs> he's late for an appointment or something. And he's got a stack of papers. Like there's no like, they're not wrapped with paper. They're not tied with a bow. There's like a stack of like loose papers, like, and he's carrying, I'm like, Oh, like, Oh, here's my papers running. And the, the cobblestone's a little bit wet. You know, it's dewy, it's dewy out there. And it hit like it hit. And right when it, it hit this man slipped on the cobblestone and all the papers that he had, like the stacks of paper just flew up in the air like confetti and they were all different colors. Like I was like, Whoa. And I like, like, you know, pe- people that don't know what's happening. They're like, what, how come this guy's so excited about this guy falling on the, on the cobblestone with the papers everywhere. Yeah. So all the colors shot up in the air. And then I looked down and all the, the cobblestones are the color that they're supposed to be, but they're brighter and there's, they're like backlit. Like they're like glowing. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, this is, I started to get nervous, right? Because he he said I wouldn't see anything. I would just feel happy and all this stuff. And I just saw, I saw paper turn into like confetti kaleidoscope. And now the the street (laughs) cobblestones are changing colors. So it's like, I'm seeing stuff. So, but I'm having a great time. Like I'm laughing uncontrollably. Like I'm just, I'm just having a great time. And I start to see more things. And uh, I see the buildings start to, come alive the windows become eyes eyes and eyelashes the the doors become mouths and the buildings are super close together but yeah different, they have different facades so you know which which building is different different building because they're even though they're stuck like this yep. this one looks different than this one like stacked townhomes and this rose yeah yeah and so these buildings come alive 
and they're dancing like this, like up and down, like they're moving up and down like this. The different color buildings are moving up and down while the eyelashes are blinking and the mouths are singing. And there's like this background song. It's kind of like circus music. It's like, and the buildings are so happy. And I'm like, this is gnarly because I had like, I had my full reasoning and I knew, and I remember, I remember telling one of my teammates, I know for a fact that this is not occurring in real life. This Mm -hmm. is not, you can't see this. I'm the only one that can see this, but I'm telling you right now, I 100% see it. It is happening, but I know it's not. So it was like a huge, this, this like huge, like mind trip for me because I, I, in that moment, I recognized that the, how powerful the mind is. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if my brain is capable of projecting these things that aren't happening, what else am I missing? You know, like how, yeah. like how could I experience this thing that's not happening, but see it and still know it's not happening? Like, how could I have my, like, I could still, I, I'm still aware, you know, I'm yeah. not like, I'm not like under this thing where it's like, oh, I'm actually, see- I'm hallucinating. I'm seeing this. Yes, I'm hallucinating, but I know I'm doing it. So yep. it's like this weird, this weird thing. And that's what made me think about the complexities of the human brain and how it could not have possibly evolved into existence through countless cosmic accidents is there must be a divine intelligent creator and there's things about him and his realm that we don't understand and through this compound that he has also created i'm able to see a glimpse of it and so it changed my life it changed my life um experiencing what the the human brain is capable of and it's su- it's such a it was such a beautiful and powerful thing that it's still to this day i look at it as the reason that i believe in god um and i was i i grew up christian i grew up in a christian household going to mm-hmm. church because that's that's how i was raised i knew i knew nothing else and when i found out that there were other religions uh, i stopped going to church and I stopped believing because I just figured all these people believe what they believe because that's how they were raised. Their parents were that. Yeah, exactly. That's how their parents were. So then, you know, I had this, this experience where that I couldn't deny that made me, you know, it, it just made me convicted in that it must be true. Not because I was raised that way because I felt it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it put me on exploration of, okay, if I believe in intelligent design and I believe that there is a creator, well, would that creator want his existence to know about him? And if he did, what method would he use to reveal himself? So, um, so it put me on this kind of like spiritual journey that, that I'm, I'm still going through today, but definitely like opened my eyes. And, um, so I, I started, you know, I, I had this like moment in my brain, but I also started to see more things. You know, we were driving back to the hotel and, um, I was in the back seat and, um, Billy wing was in the passenger seat, which was on the left there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so he w- like, he was sober. He doesn't mess around with anything like that, but he was looking back in the back seat talking to me and uh 
it was during a time of the year where all the trees were bloom. Everything was like really green and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we're driving through this, this road that has very large trees on both sides and the green from the trees is reflecting on everything like this emerald glow everything everything every everywhere that i look is glowing emerald and it's coming from the trees so billy wing looks back at me and i'm like billy your face is green and he's like what are you, what are you talking about like get over it you're on drugs you know type thing i'm like no dude it's like beautiful like your face is green. It's glowing emerald from the trees. And he's like, what are you talking about? And right when he said that his face melted all the way down, like his face melted and then sucked back up. Like, oh like my goodness. elastic back up and like bounced a little bit before it went back into its form. <laughs> and I was like, your face just melted. And he's like, we got to get you back to the hotel. So, <laughs> so shower food. Yeah. 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 So, um, so we get back to the hotel and at the bottom floor of the hotel, there's this bar and no one's in there. Everyone goes up to their room. Um, you know, and the people that accompanied me on this spiritual adventure, they went up to their rooms. So I didn't have anyone to talk about my visuals anymore. Oh, I'm in this, you know, downstairs lobby bar and I decide to look at a painting on the wall and it was like, kind of like this Van Gogh type painting that with like the little dots it's kind of like that and all the dots just started swirling around like a kaleidoscope like a like a kaleidoscope but not symmetrical it was mm. it's still the painting but the but the, the brush strokes were moving yeah in a very calming beautiful way and i don't know how long i stood there this close you know the painting just staring at it like this mm-hmm. and then i heard a voice hey are you okay <laughs> and i look and the bartender's right there i don't know how long he's been watching me and i'm just like staring at this painting and i'm like this is a beautiful painting and he goes it is it is I'm like i gotta go so <laughs> <laughs> so I felt super embarrassed that I, I definitely got caught like tripping out, you know, staring at this painting. So I head to the elevator and I push the button and it feels like I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. So I decide to sit on this bench next to the elevator and there's an ashtray. And in the ashtray, there's ash. And the ash starts doing kaleidoscope things, symmetrical kaleidoscope things, where it's like it's like collecting and they'll spread out like this and then collecting and spread out and the ash looked beautiful in this ashtray mm-hmm. and like i know it's, it's not beautiful i know it's just ash and it probably stinks so finally I, I get into the elevator i don't remember much about the elevator ride i remember it took a long time i was in there for a while or what it felt like a while and i got to my floor and at the end of the the corridor in these hallways, there's like these little balconies that are shared balconies. And there's like this metal grid where you can go step out on the grid and you're like enclosed in this cage and kind of look down at the city. And so I'm standing in this metal cage and I put my face on the grid and I felt my face go through it and I could just like see the city without the grid. And that was kind of a gnarly, gnarly experience. And then I went into the stairwell and sat there for several hours just thinking about life. And 
I had it all figured out. Like I had, I, I had God figured out and his reasoning behind creating everything and all this stuff. And I was confident that I knew it. I knew it. It's like, yes, this is definitely the way to live your life. And, and then when I like started to sober up and I lost it all, I lost all like the, the, the things that I knew. Yeah. And now the only way that I can describe them or that experience is this feeling of, like I said, this, this conviction that I know that, that there's a God. Yeah. But during the experience, I could, I, if I had a pen and paper, I believe that I could explain it in a way that everyone would believe it. I 100% believe you. Yeah, I always feel like you have to journal it right there at the end in the come down or else you do lose it. Sometimes it feels like um, you can keep it for a little while. Uh, it'll be like this, I don't know, two, three day to a week onset period of like the, the lessons are still sunk in and it's more, it's not even just learning. It's like remembering what you already knew and it's like an unlearning of society's conditioning. You know, it's, it feels more like that to me, but then you start to, what is the word? You start to decompress and you get back into the, the, the sluggishness of like working a job and kind of like life beating you down and people not being as kind as they were in those moments. And you like switch back to that old default reality. And it's so hard to fight that, like falling back to the default mindset and losing that like unconditional love and like that true understanding of the world and like it almost feels like enlightenment you know because like you have so much more empathy and like just like trust in like who you are like what the world is like yeah it's it's enlightening to me but it's it's so hard to keep it for any length at all really i kind of look at it as like a dream you know you can recall your dream right when you wake up. But if you don't talk about it right away or write it down, when you go and try and explain that dream to someone, you're going to come across like, wait, what's that? What, what happened here? Like, you're not going to remember it. Like you start to lose the dream after a couple of days or a couple hours. So the experience with, it kind of felt like that with, with psilocybin where I had this like immense clarity and I lost it, you mm -hmm. know? So, so if I ever do experience or experiment with psilocybin again, I will, I will have something to take notes with for sure. I don't know that I will, um, I just don't feel the need for it, but I'm open to the experience. You know, I'm open to it. You're invited to do it to me at any time me and you end up in some other country. Um, I'd be happy to go on a, a journey with you. You know, we can. Uh, be each other's shamans or figure out life together because it's new every time you get new friends to to try it with and uh yeah i just think that'd be awesome and also yeah. i i felt like okay the dream the way to describe it like a dream is very true but in a in an opposite way the first few times i did it felt more like a dream after that i kept feeling like this the default life is the dream because it's kind of like when you're having those normal dreams where you're not always fully in control, like it's a little bit sloppy. Sometimes there's things where you're like, that was a glitch in the matrix. And when you're on it, I, I've never felt more alive once I learned how to control it. 
Um, and it didn't feel like dreaming anymore. Instead, it felt like, like I was powerful, almost, I don't mean like a God, but I could literally do whatever I please. I could manifest a situation to happen the way I was picturing it in real time. I could become any stranger around me's best friend in the next few minutes. You know what I mean? Like it was much more smooth and like flow state constantly. And then when you came off of it, it's kind of like you went back to sleep, you know, like you were more unconscious, just going through your day-to-day routine without like intention or consciousness. And I think we all do that anyway, especially if you're working a job you don't really love, like paintball keeps you hyper aware. If you're not in that moment, you're dead. Right. But if you're a cashier or you're whatever else, you know what I mean? Like you're kind of just going through your day in autopilot. And when you're one of those psychedelic journeys, you are not in autopilot. Like you're like, whoa, I'm in the driver's seat and I'm going to make this day the best it can be right now. If you're, if you're at that level of experience. Dude, I remember telling one of my teammates that I was experiencing this with, I said, I want to feel like this all the time. Mm-hmm. I want to see this all the time. I want to think this way all the, all the time. Like this is how I want life to be. And he's like, buddy, that's how you become a drug addict. Yeah. 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 It sounds <laughs> you know? like, it, I was like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, you're right. Like I can't, I can't be this way all the way. Like I, I had to remind myself, like, this is an experience, you know, that I'm, that I'm having and you can't, you can't chase the dragon. You can't ch- like, yeah. you can't chase after this feeling all the time because yeah. it's meant to be temporary. Yeah. So, Well, the, 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 the feeling more of the experience and the visuals and all that is meant to be temporary, but I've always learned from like people from workshops doing it and like experiences that I like went and paid to like learn how to do it correctly is you do want to try to take something back from it. You know, it's almost like if you go through the slipstream or the black hole, try to bring something back from the other side and like show proof of like, look at there's more out there. And so that's why the journaling thing is important because you don't want to stay doing that all the time. Eventually it'll burn out receptors or you'll, you'll be too far gone. You know, you'll end up one of those people that lives in a van because you no longer care about reality or contributing or being productive because you're more, you're more worried about that, that different dimension you've seen. Right. Which I guess that's what monks are looking for in meditation. So maybe that's not a bad thing either. But the point is if you cannot be doing it all the time, but bring back the important stuff you've learned, like how to connect with people better or like how to leave a better imprint on this world and make your little corner of reality better. That That is so imperative. And it's something that everybody should try to go do, you know, or, or experience it and come back with those things. I think if someone is going through anxiety or depression, you know, anxiety, they say, is where you're worrying too much about the future. Depression means you're worrying too much about the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that if someone is afflicted with these things, psilocybin can impact them and change their perspective on life and therefore have them worrying less about the future and worrying less about the, what's happened in the past and, and being able to truly live in the moment. So it's the ancients used it as medicine. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, well, I don't believe, I know that we're, you know, society's just coming around to psilocybin is starting to become more mainstream. People are starting to accept it more as medicine. But uh, 
I believe it can fix a lot of these things, these modern day things that weren't problems in the past, like anxiety and depression. Uh, I believe it can fix those things because those things happen in between your ears. You know, I agree. I a hundred percent agree. Um, I'm someone who's microdosed plenty to help myself out and like keep kind of more like razor sharp or even keel or whatever. Um, including microdosing on THC. Like I'm not a weed smoker. I haven't been for forever since like 2016, but you know, that's why I believe in this company because a microdose of THC will even put you in that like different flow state like that. It, you're, you're a little bit more open. You're thinking a little bit more critically. You're just, you're considering things with more mindfulness. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And also I think Everybody should, not everybody, I'm not saying kids should do this. I think you have to develop your brain to a point where you're fully Definitely. matured and all that yet. Um, this is not by any means saying any listener that is below age or mentally unstable um, has, you know, those like paranoid schizophrenia. Things. This is not for everyone. But if yeah. you are mentally stable, if you have strong resolve and you are of age, I think everyone should try a deep dive like you know, I, I really feel like that is what saved my life. And I have countless friends around me that I know had the same thing that turned into the higher versions of themselves from that aspect. So, yeah, I think that's huge. And, you know, I I love that story you just told. I loved your incident story so much um, because something I've always felt is we all have different trips that are specific to ourselves, but there's a lot of trips that I feel like you will all almost have the same one because you know it. Cause when you're with friends, you're like, I know the way we're describing it. We're seeing the same thing. And man, I can picture a lot of the stuff you did because I've had that Amsterdam trip <laughs> twice. <laughs> I loved it so much. The first time I did it the next year I came and I'd love to tell you that story. It won't be nearly as long, but you know, uh, my first time going to Amsterdam was, forget the team at the time. It was either Kiev United or Five Star. One of those like, you know, Euro semi-pro pro area teams at the time. And I had already done, you know, this stuff before. So for me, it wasn't a first time. And so I, I went to the shop, you know, they sell legally. Like Amsterdam is so cool how open and like advanced that culture is. People are just very progressive. Not in the weird ways, not in like the, like, overly liberal progressive people are just they understand there's more than what we think and they're not as yeah. held back by like their pharmaceutical bullshit you know what i mean so i went right to a place and i got uh psilocybin mushroom what are they called um the under the ground version uh, that's what the sorcerer's stones were they look like clumps of dirt they didn't look yes. like a mushroom yes they're um what is the name of that? Like you can get it and put it on food. It, there's a, there's a name Truff for truffles. Exactly. And I was like, Hey, I want something that complements this area. Hit me with a deep dive. And I got several of these, what looked like snooze cans, like circular tin cans. Each one had four grams of that in it. And I've never been a dip your toes in it type of guy. So I just ate all of them. And, uh, I already knew that this, Amsterdam is like an art capital of like the Europe and the world. And you have the Van Gogh and the Banksy museum museum, like half mile walking distance from like those main streets and like the, the canal streets. Right. So I ate them 
with some friends. Like I'm there with my buddy Brandon, who was like an NXL pro at the time that moved across the country with me from Buffalo to California. We eat them and we go in to the Van Gogh Museum the hour it opens, right? And Van Gogh's museum is remarkable. It's this gorgeous structure and it's four or five floors and you start at the top and work your way down and each each floor is about a decade of his life and it's a different time period. So the yeah. beginning is like, he's doing that like single dot brushwork to make landscapes. You see a lot of farmers in front of beautiful fields in Netherlands and you see like the windmills, right? And it's beautiful. And there's gonna be a few little parts of the story. Like there, I really learned to appreciate art because I could tell he had certain brush strokes behind like a, what almost looked more like at a distance, a stick figure farmer's brush, like his um, his broom sweeping in front of his house. And when you looked at that and you were tripping, the, the broom was moving. So the strokes literally gave it movement the way you were supposed to see it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, I can see the wind currents he drew. I can see the way he wanted the wheat to like wave. Like it's so genius. It's so brilliant the art strokes that that van gogh guy put into it right and then i started going down and through the years he started to lose his mind and honestly i can't remember i don't know why he's my favorite artist now if it was like a degenerated brain disease or if it was he was also delving in certain psychedelics too much it was one of those two but as you went down another level painting got more weird it got more abstract it got more meshy it started getting into that stuff that we all know van gogh as with the melty stuff like clocks melting and stuff that's already dripping and complemented with these mushroom truffles um oh did i lose you lost your camera yeah can you still hear me i still hear you hmm. oh there you are yeah my my uh sony camera overheated Gotcha. So, okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. My uh, $100 plug-in mic is probably going to kill this computer soon because it's a fucking Mac and I can't charge it and have the mic in. So eventually here, I'm going to pause this and I'm going to unplug this to put my charger back in. The sound quality is going to get worse for this podcast, but not horrible. Just not beautiful like this. Yeah. People so, listening won't even know my camera stopped working, right? <laughs> they shouldn't. <laughs> the little, yeah i mean on spotify not at all until i pointed that out um but anyways so now i'm already you know what the visuals are like stuff is already drippy and oozy but i'm looking at art that's like 10 feet wide on these walls from the artist that does that best in the world in in yeah. all of time so everything is mesmerizing and i'm doing that thing where i'd be either sitting on a bench or standing in front of it like this and that was when I realized those people, like, you'd always hear people talk in front of art, like, oh, I like the way they, and I'm like, I don't know, I can't really be too descriptive about art. Like, I could say it's beautiful, or I like this concept of it, but I couldn't be like, oh, I see what the artist is doing for, he's pointing out. And in this moment, well, this many hours, I could. And sometimes, like, art enthusiasts would stop next to me, and maybe they were tripping too, maybe they weren't, but we would have those conversations for a while about each piece I was in front of, right? Hmm. And on top of this, the really cool part about this is Amsterdam is a very international city. 
So while I'm in there, I'm like hyper aware, like my hearing is tuned in where if I, if yes. I put the awareness on a certain conversation, two rooms over, I can hear those two people quietly yes. chatting over the banter of everything else. Yeah. Remember this? But, yeah, I, had that too. I forgot to describe it. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, everyone's speaking every different language. So I felt for a little while when I was just stuck staring at certain artworks, like I was in that city of Babel, like the old story, yes. because yeah. all around me was literally, I, I didn't hear any English other than me and my friends because you wouldn't really hear like the British people in there or whatever. They don't really go in there. They're partying and shit for the most part. It's a reality yeah. of it. But you would hear tons of Middle Eastern, like Arabic. You'd hear all of the like Netherlands, German, um, Norway, the Slavic languages. And then there were a lot of Asian tourists there with like cameras. So I was hearing it all. And it was just this until you picked one to tune into while you're looking at this art. And it was such a unreal experience, like mind blowing to be having such a audio trip and a visual trip together. Right. Yeah. So I'm, uh, eventually sitting on the bottom floor in front of one of his biggest pieces, you know, um, starry night. And I'm just there for, I don't know how long, you know, it could have been the last 20 minutes. It could have been the last three hours, but I'm, I'm just like losing myself in it. And eventually a janitor comes over and starts chatting with me and we get up and we start looking at the last few things and kind of like point out and we're having this really good conversation. And then eventually he opens a door and it's like the last of sunlight coming. In. And I'm like, what's this? And he's like, Oh, this is the exit. The place is closed. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, we closed about a half hour ago. And I was like, I am so sorry. Were you waiting for me to close this floor? Whatever? He's like, it's not a big deal. This happens to people all the time. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. We're closed. You do have to leave. You can't circle back or anything like that. That's why I kind of pointed out this and that from those last four or five paintings. You got stuck and you've been sitting there for a decent while, but you didn't close, buddy. I was like, well, thanks so much for being kind, you know, like and not booting me earlier or whatever. I appreciate that. Um, go outside. And outside, it's like sunset, it's like, you know, the golden hour. Mm. And this is like, I thought that was going to be the best part of my trip. It was amazing. I've been back in there since, but outside it was remarkable because when you step out of that museum, you're at this central park and the end of the park is that big castle that was once a train station or is now a train station. Maybe it used to be a castle, but it's now a train station. And underneath it is the sign that says, I am Sturdam. Do you know the sign? Mm -mm. It's an I in red, a white M, and then Sturdam in red. Hmm. And and so it says, I am Sturdam. And yeah. it's, a, you know, I like to get the pictures with those signs in every like city or country I go to abroad, but I step outside and the grass is coursing with energy. And mm -hmm. I see my friends sitting there in the grass. They were all waiting for me. They didn't rush me along. And I go over and I join them. And it's them and these two guys, our guy and a girl that we grabbed from our hotel. And we're like, we're about to do this tonight. If you want to join us, come join us. And so we we tagged along new friends that became friends with us throughout this journey. We sat there in the grass. And this is when I kind of realized that like reality was different than what I thought it was, you know, and I already learned a lot from these things, but I could see energy coursing from them 
down into the grass they were sitting in and then directly to me, like in direct running lines, right? Like yeah, my yeah. fingertips were grabbing it out of the grass, but I could follow any one of the million streams and see it going into everything around me, but especially them and people walking by, right? And in that moment, I realized that reality gives you this false idea of like divide, like you see yourself and the other people as separate. I'm me, they're the other. But when you see this, you're like, oh, we're more connected than I thought. And this isn't just some hippie bullshit, because if you know anything about science, you also know that in a half hour sitting next to me, a lot of atoms which are in the cells are changing out of you. Like you make a new you, just the skin cells every half hour, right? And you're gaining some of that from other people. Like, you know, you'll hear, uh, you know, like Bill and I and those guys talk about how there's somewhere in you one billionth of a, an atom or a cell that was once that same cell. It's never created or destroyed. Um, the atoms, the energy from a dinosaur a million years ago. So I'm I'm knowing this in my head and I'm thinking about that as I'm seeing it. And I'm like, my friend across from me right now is literally an extension of me. Yeah. They are literally just me born and raised in different part and giving reality or the universe a different perspective, just different eyes to see and experience it all from. Because if it was only one of us, it's too much for us to see and do. But I then felt so much more love for them and for all strangers, for everyone, you know, people I didn't even know, like it extended beyond my friends and family group or my town or my city or my country to everyone. Because I realized like these people are all just part of me and I am part of them. And now I need to even be more caring and understanding and even less toxic because if I'm going to be a part of them, I want them to feel me as a good part of them. You know, mm. and I want to treat them as I would treat myself and be respectfully. So now, even if someone's like doing me wrong, like occasionally you get that one person in your life, the acquaintance or the bad teammate that just treats you like dog shit. But I, I never react with anything other than like positive, unless it's like a little jokey to get back at him. But I never stoop down to that level because I, I love them, even though they're being a, a, a dick to me. I love them for who they are and for being part of me and for being that mirror. They're a part of me in a way that they are a me that I don't want. So they're showing me this thing that I should avoid or not do, or this habit or this pattern that is bad. And it's like, in that way, I'm also, I love them and I'm thanking them for giving me the example of what not to do. So whether it's your friend or your enemy, you got to love them and exactly for who they are without really trying to change them or whatever, because they're doing something for you, whether it's a positive outcome or interaction, or they're just being this teacher, this reality teacher that's right there in front of your face saying, look it, I'm a, I'm an alcoholic piece of shit and I have three DWIs. Are you really going to keep doing that? And when you see it and you, it clicks, you're like, oh man, I love you, but thank you. Cause you, you know, you just taught me another thing. And in those ways, kind of like teach, uh, traveling, you can learn more in one journey like this, one 12 hour day walking through Amsterdam on truffles than you could in four years at college. Cause I've done 100%. four years of college and it didn't do anything near what this taught me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I, I love it. It's, it's, I, I mentioned it too. The connectedness that you feel to everyone and everything is, is incredible. And, uh, it's like, 
it, it, we're not, you know, we're not, we're really not like, even if you look back in, in genealogy and like, you go, you look at like the science, like everyone came from the same female. Yeah. Dating back however long. So we are connected, but it take you know, for some people, it takes that drug. It takes psilocybin for you to actually feel it and recognize it. Mm-hmm. But you know, you watch gurus and stuff like that, and it's like they're preaching this stuff all day long. And I don't know if it's they've learned it from psilocybin or if they just figured out life, you know? Yeah. You know, but know. yeah, it's an important thing, dude. It's an psilocybin is an important compound, and we can learn a lot from it for sure, 100%. And I guess, you know, to cap off the story in case anybody else wants to try this or whatever, this is not something that you just dive into unexperienced or uneducated. Like I knew what I was doing. I knew dosage. I had tried and practiced before. Um, you know, you can be fine without doing that, I guess, with an open mind, a positive resolve, but you want to, you want to really know what you're doing first and, um, and, and be aware, you know, cause when you're traveling someplace, I wouldn't do this, but Amsterdam's a, a very clean, very safe city that really caters to international tourists and they're friendly they're open they're helpful they for the most part all speak english um so it was like really there's not really a lot of risk of trouble the worst thing that's going to happen is i'm going to get locked into a museum and be like oh damn and then kicked out you know but i'm not worried about getting arrested or like you know being in a a safe situation where i might get robbed or anything like that you know this entire neighborhood around me after where eventually i'm going to only walk a mile home neighborhood around me was the it was a mix of like the park and then on one side near the castle i'll never forget this when you sit against the i amsterdam sign there's a castle to your center rightish that is like hundreds and hundreds of years old and so it's very old and and beautiful and rustic right but then immediately to your left almost connecting into it is like these very modern like all glass front apartments and then like a light rail system, like a really nice, almost bullet train looking subway that's like very clean and quiet and fast. And then a road right behind it where at the time in 2018, most of Amsterdam already has Teslas as their uh, city taxis because they adopted it and they bought thousands of them to make it more green. So when you get picked up by a taxi at the airport, it's a Tesla. It's either a Tesla or a nice Mercedes. So you just had this crazy clash of like castles from hundreds and hundreds of years ago in this old, old country, right next to brand new modern Teslas, like spaceship looking things, especially while you're tripping a little, they look like a spaceship and they have this hover sound to them. And it was crazy to see back and forth of like, wow, here, right here is like the divergence or like, no, the convergence of the very present, if not almost the, the future and like the past that still exists. And that was remarkable to sit and think about for a good two hours in the darkness too, at the end of that trip, you know, it was crazy. Yeah, man. It's i uh, I'm just going to tell people not to do it because people are going to do whatever they want, but you know, I don't want people to say that they did it because paintball nerd told them to. So don't do it. Stay away no. from drugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a sec. I'm going to pause this because my microphone is about to die. Like I said, so take a pee if you gotta. I'm gonna. Okay, we are back. Uh, man, that was a fun 
uh, tangent. That was the exact kind of conversation that I look for from <laughs> these travel stories. Because once again, paintball brought us there, but it's not about the paintball. It's about like that experience that we we were gifted because of paintball. And uh, yeah, that was sweet. How many times have you uh, have you been to Thailand? Um, three times. Once back in 2011 with Shockwave Canada, um, won the PALS Open Pro Division and uh, got to be on this show that was kind of the, the, the inspiration for this. It was called Where Paintball Takes Us. And it's a multi, mm. multi uh, like part video series on YouTube, if you Google that in. And it's, it's awesome. It's kind of doing what I want this to do where that story you told or the one I told, hopefully the picture can, or the listener can picture it. Like we brought them along with us, but this video series back then actually did it and showed us doing all this fun stuff and, you know, playing, partying, riding, uh, catamarans and sand pans. And it was all of that, you know? So that was the first big one. And then I went in 2015, um, and then 2018. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen in Thailand? Craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, okay. So all the craziest things I feel like I've done or seen in Thailand were, were in a place called Kofifi or maybe Kopipi. I've heard it's pronounced differently. I'm sorry if I'm butchering it, but it's a very well-known and famous island that's kind of touristy because people go there for a reason, but it's not like Disney touristy. You know, if you go there, the people you see around you are like hippie backpackers. Like, you know, the people that you know, they've been living out of their backpack for a year. And it is one of the islands in the chain of islands. Um, off of Pattaya, which is like the port city where, you know, naval bases, but also like the red light district and all that. Well, a few islands away is this place called Kofi Fi, uh, where it's most known for the full moon festival. And it just so happened that myself, Harrison, Ben Challenger, and the awesome Belgium guys from Breakout Spa were in that island during the festival. We were doing two days, you know, a night and two days or maybe two nights in each of these islands, just island hopping down the chain of islands. Must be like a dozen of or something like that. And in Kofi Fi, we stayed the extra day because it was so sweet. Well, Kofi Fi had this little satellite island off of it. That's not, you can't stay there. There's no structures, but you can take a little catamaran boat ride there for like three bucks. It's called Monkey Island. And it's like a little crescent shaped island. And I remember... On Monkey Island, we we had like a case of beer with us in my backpack. We were all in the water, and I saw monkeys come out of the woods, grab my backpack and zip it open, and then reach inside, open the case of beer, and then grab one of the beers out and crack it, and then chug the beers like they were frat kids. <laughs> and I thought that was remarkable because I was like, that was a lot of smart things. I'm like running towards it now to save the bag. Um, but the fact that they even knew how to open cans, and I saw one open a bottle too. And 
like chug it and then grab one for the road and run off with it to save it. And they would grab like bags of chips and snacks too, right? So I saw them do this. And then in this other area, a different island that was bigger and had like, you know, mopeds and uh, roads and all that. We mopeded to a certain spot, walked into the jungle because it just sounded crazy. Like we've walked up this, this like stream coming out of the jungle, uh, me and a bunch of friends who were there at the time. And we're listening to all these ambiance. We're getting deeper into the jungle. And eventually there's just like this clearing, like it, instead of being thick brush, the, the creek bed leads to like, to the right was like this, I'd say probably about a hundred by a hundred square foot clearing. And in the clearing was a humongous pile of food litter, humongous, hmm. like from the monkeys, from the monkeys and amongst it all were monkeys as well as these little wild pigs, maybe size of like a, like a Pomeranian, just these little pigs. And there's like 20, 30 of each. Right. And we're looking and we're like, Whoa, okay. These monkeys are smart enough that like people, they don't just eat everything immediately. They save it for later. Cause you saw like half bags of chips, half bottles of drink, like stood up kind of. So the liquid isn't pouring out like balanced against stuff. And there was just all this surplus of food of all their munchies. We found their stash, right? And as we find it, we're looking around, we're like, this is awesome. We're just trying to be quiet and like enjoy watching them, the little pigs scooting through stuff. But like this troop of monkeys is coming in. We can hear them in the branches above us coming in from like more behind us, but a little bit left straight behind us was like the beach. We came in straight left was more deep jungle. And we see, hear them coming in and we look up and there's like dozens of them coming in. And there were a few big motherfuckers like there were some you know the biggest ones are only maybe three feet but these big alpha ones if you know anything about monkeys a three-foot monkey will tear your limbs off so you. yeah, you. and even a smaller one will bite your face off so all, they're they're like right over us like the roof to your the, your apartment they're like that high above us in the treetops and they're kind of looking like you know you guys are in our fucking shit you're invading and we're all just like Okay, everyone, just like back out slowly. You know what I mean? Like be cool, just back out. So we're just backing out, being friendly, avoid eye contact with the real big muscular ones and just like leaving. And some of them are freaking out. They're getting into that like, like yeah, they're, they're getting wild and it's it's heart pounding, right? Because you're like, there's only a few of us. There's a lot of them. And I think even one of them would fuck up even one of us. So like, I just hope this doesn't go wrong. So we're like, we're backing out of this jungle We make it out. And I, I forget if it was the same day or the next day, but like one of these two days I get to my moped and my moped has a fucking monkey on it. <laughs> and because there's like no stealing in these areas, there's really not, you know, like the locals are great. I would just leave shit at my moped. You know what I mean? So I get back and my moped, I always had the helmet hanging off it. And the keys in the little cup holder where you could put a drink right behind the steering thing. And the monkey is sitting on the seat with my fucking moped keys. <laughs> and, I, and we are way the fuck out there. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. I'm not too worried about losing the moped because I've destroyed many of them. We've talked about this and it's not much of a deposit. But if I lose this moped right now, getting back's going to suck. And in my athletic bag, all I had was like my phone, my wallet, and like some snacks and a water bottle. I'm like, fucking idea. I pull out like some kind of like 
Asian granola bar type thing situation. I just pull it down. I, it's like the movies. Do I pull it down, take a bite of it? I'm like, hmm, like chewing, right? Hand it out to him. And luckily, after like a minute of the standoff, I barter the food for my keys from the monkey. You know, he doesn't hand it to me, but he realizes he has to drop the keys to take it. And he does. And I just quickly grab the keys. And when I bend down, he jumps off and goes right off into that same tree path and is gone. I'm like, that could have been the monkey with my keys running into the trees. So that was that was wild. Dude, I had monkeys raise up on me in uh, in Malaysia, in Kota Kanabalu. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like big, thick forest. And right outside the, the forest tree line uh, was these, I think they were power lines or just some kind of cables hanging up. Um, but uh, there was like one monkey hanging out on the wire. So I was like, gesturing at the monkey and like you know messing with the monkey like making monkey noises and like just messing with the monkey and then i heard like all the the noise and rustling in the trees like monkeys screaming and like i can hear like this wave of monkeys coming out of the thick forest (laughs) and so i'm messing with this one monkey and then all of a sudden his buddies start jumping out of the trees and onto this line and now the line has like tons of there's two lines running parallel to each other and they're just monkeys like flexing flexing at me on both lines they're oh yelling at their at their buddy and like i knew right then like do not mess with these monkeys like these like these these guys can kill you mm-hmm. so i i conceded and i i ran away from the monkeys but uh it's funny how like they all came out of the trees and like stood with their boy like what like you, you know where you're at you know what neighborhood you're in yeah, uh, <laughs> that is, uh, they're scary creatures there. Sometimes I'm more afraid of them than anything else. I hate monkeys. People are like, oh, they're human looking, but I'm like, this thing is too smart. It can use tools and it is 10 times stronger than me. So yeah. I don't want to be near monkeys for the most part. But, you know, uh, so aside from that, that is, a, that's a good one. And that could be near death experience. If you think about it, if they, if they saw you flinch in the wrong way, they could attack you. And if you're alone, you're not making it out of there without a weapon even with a weapon, good luck. Right. But beyond that, um, you know, I've told you like my moped crash and whatnot. Do you have any, while you were traveling abroad, while you were living there, did, what was your most like close to death or your most dangerous moment? I don't know if I have like a dangerous moment, like definitely not on a moped. I survived that like people drive crazy in Taiwan. They don't really respect red lights or anything like that. Like if you have the opening go. Yeah. Um, so there is accidents there, but I didn't, I didn't get any on a moped. Um, well, that's good. Cause that answers one we, segment I was going to do. I was going to, I'm going to make a button for it where it's, did you crash your moto? <laughs> I was talking to Harrison about this, but you didn't. So that's a plus. Yeah. Uh, I wish I did now. So I had the story. Um, but kind of like there was a kind of like this dangerous place that we went to where people jump off the rocks and into the water. And I remember there, I remember seeing like rebar and shit down there. I'm like, I don't people jump in here, but I didn't jump in there. Like the, the, like the worst thing that ever happened to me was the flea story. Mm. That was just like, that was the absolute worst, but, um, never like risked my life really traveling abroad. 
I did okay. like I did um when I was in Malaysia, I went out with a bunch of the guys and they had some like bartenders come over. So this was a gross experience that I had. Okay. And like, you know, like he had like these girls come over and they're like supposed to be hot girls or whatever and all sexy and whatnot. And they brought, brought me over this shot that had like whipped cream on it. And, uh, and I was like, okay, two of them, one, one for one of these girls and one for me. And I took, I took the shot and the girl took the shot. And then I remember they had me lean my head back and she like spit whipped cream into my mouth and I was disgusted. I was like, what the hell? Like, what is this? Like, this isn't not like, this isn't a shot or anything. Like, this is just some nasty thing that you just did to me. Yeah. Why the hell did this happen? And I don't know you. Yeah. So I remember feeling like, to the guys that I was like hanging out with, like the Malaysian dudes, like, why did that just happen? Like, why? That's not what I wanted. I'm really mm-hmm. grossed out right now. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to chill anymore. Um, so I'm out. yeah, having some random girl spit whipped cream in your mouth from Malaysia. Not, not, not cool. Okay. That's, that's shitty. How yeah. about this? This is, this isn't dangerous, like life threatening, but did you ever have one of those situations where in the middle of or afterwards you're like, whoa, I put myself in a sketchy, like social situation or whatever. Like, you know, my example is because it's not all great when you travel out there. I've I've been shaken down by far too many random corrupt police officers in Central America and in Asia. Never really happens in Europe or Australia or anything. Um, and I've also realized I've done some stupid things where I'm like, damn, I was completely alone there. Nobody fucking knows where I am in the world. And I just walked through a neighborhood that was kind of like not well lit. And there were some, those characters that if it was going to happen and if I looked like a target, that would have been the moment. Like that was, I should have been more aware because you know, who knows what could happen. Did you ever do anything like that? I had one right when you were talking and then I forgot what it was. Um, the police. Oh, the police. Right. So I was playing paintball in Baja paintball, which is in Tijuana. Um, when I f- was first playing with the Ironman and oh, gosh. Uh, I drove down there uh, or Yosh drove down there. I rode with Yosh and on the way back, we were trying to get through the border and he like went, th- he like turned, he changed lanes when it was like a solid line instead of a, a broken line or something. I'm not, even to this day, I'm not like convinced that he broke the law. Right. Yep. But a cop saw us trying to change lanes and he pulled us over and, and, um, it was like illegal move, illegal move or whatever. And Yosha's like, what? Well, I, I don't understand. Like what, what, what do I do? And he goes like, Oh, you made, you made an illegal, illegal move. And, uh, so he looks in the back and we have paintballs in the back. And he's like, what is that? What are those? Like, Oh, paintballs. And he's like, oh, my son plays paintball. And uh, so we had to give the cop all of our paintballs to get out of the ticket. Mm-hmm. And and then I remember another time in Mexico, we bribed the police. We got pulled over with guys with like M16s and all that. And we had to actually give them yep. money. Been there. Give them money. Or else <laughs> yeah. we were going to go to jail because paintball is illegal or something. Like they made up something like you're going to go to jail. You're going to yep. go to jail right now uh, unless you give us money. 
Yeah. So I didn't have any money. Like Shane had some money with him. I think Brian had money. So we got out of that one. Um, but I don't have any like near near death experiences. Like I've had some experiences in Thailand that I almost don't even want to talk about them. Like they're so like so uncomfortable. Like I like culture shock. Not even culture shock. Just like wrong, wrong things. Right. Share one. Share one. If you don't mind, it could be yeah. the least of those. Well, I would just say that the being exposed to seeing children in the sex trade mm-hmm. really was disturbing. Yeah. And, and you cannot avoid it in Thailand. It, you will see it. And you can't you say anything about it. it. Yeah. You can't. One of my teammates did. We were in Thailand on a, a jeepney. And, you know, the, it's like public transportation. It's like this little, it's like a, a bed of a pickup truck and everyone sits in there and they, they take you wherever you want to go. And there's this big old dude in the jeepney with this little Thai boy. And it's like his, this little Thai boy is like his slave and he's eating, eating a sandwich and the, he's having a little boy like wipe his mouth and stuff. Yep. And my teammate goes, you're going to have sex with this little boy, aren't you? And the guy like hits, you know, pulls the thing and like tries to get off the, the jeepney right away. So he's like, Hey everyone, look at this guy. He's trying to have sex with this little boy. And it's like, I don't like, no one cared. Nobody cares. That's just, no one cares. It's like children are in, in the, uh, they are sex workers there and they're born into it and it's fucking awful. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, seeing that, and I, I saw some other things too that I won't talk talk about just because it's it's really sad, you know, mm-hmm. it's really sad. Um, that that is the, you know, that's the negative side of seeing other cultures is yes. like things that, you know, things that are unacceptable, you know, things that are humanitarian issues, problems. Yeah. Uh seem to be accepted there yeah and so that was something for me that was like a huge shock that was like oh my gosh like when it's like what can i do like how mm-hmm. how like what can i do to help these children and there's nothing you can do like <laughs> that's that's what they do there and it's just like yeah. so that's something i haven't shared yet about seeing certain you know i have mentioned that i've seen some things in thailand that made me uncomfortable and that that was it you know, like outside of like the shock value where like you're going through Pattaya and you see a girl sitting there with her legs crossed and then she opens them and the dick pops out like, Oh, that's, that's something new, but that's in becoming more prevalent in the, in the United States these days. But, um, yeah. you know, back, back then in 2010, when I was in Thailand, like transgender wasn't a big thing. Like it was, it was popular. Like lady boys have always been a thing in Thailand, but to yeah. see it, is a shocker true it made me a little bit uncomfortable but not as uncomfortable as seeing kids as servants and stuff like that that's just like yep heartbreaking you know yeah i'm you know it, it sucks that you they, these are th- have to be things that we mention but um you know it's good you bring it up because um a lot of people they think when we travel it's all you know flowers and sunshine whatever 
and you do culture yourself and you do get a lot of good benefits by being just there for a little while and leaving. But when you see some of these places where you're like, what have I lived here? And you realize there's, there's different values on a life in many different places. Like there's some places where they'll kill instantly and it's not really a thought. It's like, eh, whatever. You know what I mean? And in that place, it's not quite like that. But I remember that too. I remember being on the beach in Bataya and seeing like, you know, 70, 80 year old, like Russian or Australian or British dudes or whatever with like 10 year old girls next to them. And you just knew that was their girlfriend or their wife. And that was why they moved there to do that. Cause they're like, you can't do shit to me here and you can't judge me. And this is what I want. And those kind of sick fucking bastards can live there. And it takes every ounce of your willpower to not run up and fucking scream at them or kick the shit out of them. You know what I mean? Or tell the kid to run or whatever, but you're like, that's not going to change anything. You know, if, if anything, as soon as I leave, the, the kid's just going to come back because they have maybe they no chance without them or whatever. Yeah. Like they're doing it for their family. And, and then like the lady boy thing, you're right. It's only till recent that like this transgender thing is a thing in this country and whatever, you know what I mean? Like I try to have no judgment towards anything. I have no hate towards anyone, but it, it just wasn't a thing. I didn't know a single trans person growing up i knew some gay people but never trans right but 2011 i go to thailand and it was something like a third or a half of all like the working girls in those areas were trans Mm -hmm. where like we're walking around you know me and the canadian guys are with one local thai player and some of them would be like oh look at that girl like thinking she's pretty enough whatever and the thai guy would be like lady boy lady boy lady boy he'd point every other one and be like able to point them out and we're like really like the shockwave guys some of them were even like surprised because it the really good looking ones the ones where it's too good to be true it was it wasn't it was all plastic surgery or whatever and we were like how is this why is this why yeah and they this is something weird too they were like well if you're born a boy here in thailand and you're not in a middle class or upper class family you really only have a couple options. Whereas if you're a girl, you can be a waitress or a bartender that gets good tips, or you can make great money off tourists being a sex worker. So do you want to just be like a janitor or like a, you know, like a basically bottom of the barrel working class guy that has literally no room for advancement? Or do you want to be one of these girls that maybe does this for a (laughs) while And after five or 10 years, they've saved up enough to buy themselves their own house or buy their way out of the country or out of it. So it's a lot of them. It's like a means to an end, which is horrific means to an end. But yeah, that was that was the eye opening culture shock for me way back that first time. Yeah, I remember um, I remember seeing a, a, a lady boy. Like the first time I saw one was I mentioned, like you're walking through you know, Pattaya and, uh, you know, they, they got these like bars and stuff and girls are sitting outside and then like one uncrossed and, you know, dick popped out and you're like, Whoa, that's trip, you know? But then I saw others and I'm like, that's not one. That's definitely a girl. And that's a pretty girl. Yeah. And someone was like, Nope, Nope. 100% lady boy, lady boy. Let's go ask. Sure mm-hmm. enough sure enough it was and it's like dang man like i i I think i'm a pretty good judge of that thing but uh like over there it's pretty like there's some that are pretty convincing you know 
Mm-hmm. And they, 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 they are not shy about it at all. Like, no. Yeah. I'm a lady boy. Yeah. They'll tell you. Yeah. Like, whoa, <laughs> that's a trip, you know? Yeah. So, so, you know, what you don't want to happen is you don't want to end up with a lady boy thinking that it's just a lady and you'll find out that it's a lady boy the hard way. Right. <laughs> That's what you know, which, which has happened, which has happened to people who I won't name, but it has happened. <laughs> yeah. Let's not name them. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> to protect their identity. That's terrible. Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah. That'd be a, a, a buzzkill of an evening <laughs> in that moment. You think the date's going good, like shooting the shit at the bar or whatever. And then later on. Uh, yeah. Surprise. That's not. Yeah. Good. But, you know, what do you do at that point? Date's over? Or, hey, I've come this far. Oh, <laughs> I guess that depends on, uh, yeah, the person. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll put some people on blast that you know. Yeah, tell me of. later. I, I got one for you, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd never yeah. give shit for it anymore, but, I mean, whatever. And, and, and you're right. At a distance, you're like, well, shit would have fooled anybody. Right. So yeah. Oh, crazy. What a, what a crazy culture in so many ways with that, with like a lot of it is way behind, but then a lot of other parts like Bangkok looks like a very futuristic high tech city. Yeah. But then when you're on the roads, it's like four lanes, but cars are driving seven wide with tuk-tuks and bikes weaving between. And every yep. given moment you're like, we're going to run someone over, kill someone. But you never see an accident. It all seems to flow well. People let each other merge and like bees and or ants. The the road speed limit is 30, but the left lane, there's nice sports cars doing 70. And you're like, this is just such a wild, wild west world over here with what you can do and what you can't do. And like it's a different type of freedom than America, you know. There's not the same freedoms, but then there's these other lawless freedoms. I don't know how free America is. I feel like it's just a happy thing that we say land of the free, but so many other countries have freedom and they have more freedom than us. So are we really a home and free? Are we really like when you, when you, so when you've traveled as much as you've traveled, Joe, you have to come to the conclusion as I have that there are other places that are a lot more free than yes. the United States. hundred percent. So that I am happy you bring this up. This could be its own 10 hour podcast, honestly, because yeah. once again, I, I don't I, I hope nobody thinks like uh, fuck them. They're just anti-America or whatever, because I'm proud to be an American, like what I truly think an American is, a.k.a. like what the founding fathers would have wanted, where yeah. like, you know, you raise the T-tax one percent. We're tar and feather. And yeah, like I believe in what America stood for at one point, but this current soft, weird America um, has a lot of problems. And one of them is that, uh, you know, system of a down used to say it, they're trying to build a prison. And now I get a lot of that more where I'm like, okay, from what I understand from slavery back in the day, you worked, but it wasn't like you just had nothing. Like they were provided food, guaranteed shelter, whatever. And when you read like slave diaries, like I had a class about that in early college it wasn't all just being whipped and shit like that. That was the bad plantation owners, but a lot of them were allowed to like have parties, weekends off, marry, start families that stayed there, all of that. Right. Well, 
the only difference between that and a lot of average people nowadays is the medium. Like you go to work, which they went to work eight hours a day, they did eight hours a day and you're paid. But then what do you do with that cash? You buy your living and your food. And then there's just enough extra to pay for the distractions, the bread and circus, you know, your TV, going to see a sports game once every few weeks. And there's enough things to make you feel like, oh, I chose this. I'm loving it. But like if you broke it down, like I've, I always realize anytime I'm like camping for a week or so where I'm like, man, no matter what, I have to pay to live. You know what I mean? I didn't get to choose that. And if I wanted to like go off into the wilderness in the middle of Montana right now with all my survival skills, build a structure, make fires, collect rainwater, I can't. I literally can't. I will be taken from that spot and told you must leave right now or I will be thrown in prison or I will be told I have to pay fines if I disconnect from PG&E or like the water. You're like, oh, I have my own. I have solar. I have, they're like, sorry, you still got to pay, you know? So there is kind of like this, I, once again, I appreciate all America is. I appreciate flushing toilets and like a general safe feel, I guess. Although I've been robbed at gunpoint every time here in this country and never by a random stranger in other countries. Um, but anyways, I appreciate it all. But at the same time, the the veil is lifted when I traveled that in other places, they have these freedoms that we don't have, where they're not just stuck in the rat race. Where'd you get robbed? I've been robbed in Niagara Falls when I lived there. That is actually like a crack capital of the Northeast. <laughs> you know, there's the two blocks of like the falls itself and the casino. And then the avenues behind that first through 50th are horrific. Like I, mm. I remember living there and uh, occasionally you'd hear an entire clip of Uzi get dumped in the middle of the night. And the next day you'd drive a block or two over and you'd find that car just Swiss cheese. You know, it's, wow. it's a, a bad neighborhood. So I've been robbed there. I've been robbed in um, uh, Newark, New Jersey, not a good place. And also uh, South Philly, which is not a good place. Yeah. And then I've, I've been robbed. You've been robbed in all the places you should be robbed. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. It would only be a matter of time before it would have happened to me when I was in Flint playing with 810. Um, it's happened to me almost by knife in my house when I lived in Auburndale, which is like a trailer park area, dead central Florida below Lakeland. Um, and fortunately I've never had to live in like Compton or Oakland or any of those. Um, but I've had sketchy run throughs in, uh, what's that area near Sacramento Stockton, as well as Bakersfield. So I've, I've been through it all, <laughs> but it's That's been crazy. in this country, not in other countries, other countries. It's some police officer just shaking you down. And really, once you give them the money on you, they let you leave, you know, it's, yeah. there's no violent part about it. Yeah. I've never been robbed, period, much less at gunpoint. That's got to be, knock on wood, that's got to be a scary experience, dude. It's sobering, that's for sure. In that moment, it's adrenaline, but not a uncontrollable. It's like a crystal clear, like, I value my life more than anything I have on me or this car. I'm just going to like, hey, buddy, you say moving slow, take whatever you need. Please just don't shoot me. Like, take your finger off the trigger, please don't accidentally sneeze and shoot me in the face. Um, 
But after those moments, there is always like this, you know, extreme appreciation for life or anytime <laughs> yeah. I, I walk away from it, I've always been like, Oh, there's that second shot. You know what I mean? I need to do better this year or like forever after this. Cause that could have went a worse way. Yeah. Jeez. Well, I don't know if I have any more. I'm sure I have more stories, but I feel like I need you to dig them out of me. I'm a good digger, but you know, I wouldn't want to keep you on here for four hours getting all of them. So I'll have you back on. I'll there we go. You back, do you remember next ones? But you know, some things I wanted to ask you before you leave, you know, we're not done yet, but rather than more stories is kind of like more of the deep dives. And, and these are what I love about this is more than just, um, you know, like the surface level, the travel and like the adventure part of the story. But I've said this the last few podcasts, um, when you travel, I've always found that I get to culture myself and I learn a lot about my external world. I learn the way things are rather than the way they're portrayed to me in media or books. But every single time I travel, I learn more about myself. Like I learn more about, cause it's just you out there. You don't have your typical routine of what you entertain yourself with or what's safety to you. You're out there by yourself and it's, it's on you now. So if you thought you were a partier here, but over there you realize you're worried or anxious to go party alone. Turns out you were actually more introverted than you thought, or like yeah. there's these like uh, insecurities. Right. And so I've learned a lot about me, like what I, what my actual characteristics, my, what I resonate with and what things I actually gravitate towards. Like, would I rather be out in the nature or would I rather see the cities? Would I rather do nightlife or would I rather go to museums and see art or monuments or statues? Right. So my question is, what did you find you learned about yourself? Let's say in Taiwan first. Well, I talked about it a little, but what I learned about myself is, is that I wasn't able to live in the moment the way that I should. Mm. Um, and it took me a year of living in Taiwan to actually discover that, like, and looking back on on all my experiences in Taiwan and also looking back at the attitude that I had of, man, I'm, you know, I'm homesick. I want to go back to San Diego where the weather's nice and air is clear. Yeah. You know, and having that like kind of regret of, I wish I had a better attitude about this. I don't necessarily wish I did something different. I just wish I stopped fucking complaining about being, not being in San Diego, you know, yeah. and just, you know, and I, I remember Jeremy Clinsmith, he, he lives in, uh, he's from South Africa. He lives in India right now or no, somewhere. I don't know where he lives. Bali, maybe. Um, I was complaining one day and he goes, Hey man, like, look where you're at. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, look where you're at. I'm like, I'm standing on the street in Taiwan. What are you talking about? And he goes, dude, you are living in another country right now because of paintball. Mm -hmm. The company moved you out here on their dime. They pay for your expenses. Look where you're at. And I was like, how come you didn't tell this to me eight months ago? Yeah. 
How can we have this tough conversation eight months ago? Yeah. I've been sitting here having this bad atti- bad attitude the whole time about how I miss San Diego. And you know, that one of that was one of the conversations where I was like, I need to learn to live in the moment and appreciate where I'm at and what I'm doing. Yeah. And the experiences that I have. So the biggest thing that Taiwan taught taught me or moving to Taiwan taught me was that like don't worry about the past, don't worry about the future, live in the moment and get everything out of the moment. Amen, brother. That is well said. I am so about that. So you say, I mean, that's like one of my favorite things to preach is just be present. And be present. Uh, I'm happy that that was one of the things you learned about yourself. Like it sucks that it was late, but it is cool that since it was glaring you in the face, you were like, ah, I'm bad at being here. I'm thinking too yeah. much about what I'm going to do later or like reaching success or whatever it is. So many people are caught up in that. They're thinking about tomorrow or they're dwelling on yesterday and wake up and smell the roses or look around, smell the right, whatever it means. That literally means what it means. Like stop and just enjoy the now, you know, like, yeah, plan for the future. Yeah. Undo mistakes from the past, but like you only have this one moment. And if there wasn't for the sun setting and the moon, it would all be a one day, right? There really is no time. So choose to like, see that you only have right now, a tree could fall and kill you the next second. So live the fuck out of that now. Like really every day you should go to sleep and feel like I was the best I could be. And I tried to do as much of what I wanted to do that didn't harm others this day. Yeah. And when, when you live in the moment, it also gives you the ability to seek out the reason to say yes to experiences, Mm. to things. And you're living in the moment you look for those opportunities where the answer can be yes. Yeah. So that's another piece of advice that I give to people that are traveling abroad. Say yes. Say yes to experiences. Say yes to eating the scorpion. Eat the stinky tofu. Yeah. Try it. Say yes. Do it. And see who you come out you know, on the other side as. Did, did you ever see that movie, Yes Man, the Jim Carrey movie? Mm-hmm. I was already doing all this stuff, just learning to say yes to every opportunity and experience when I travel. But I wish I had seen that movie before, before because <laughs> it would have got me to do it earlier. Because it's it's exactly what you're saying, where it's just like today I'm not going to have fears or insecurity. If so and so, if a random stranger says like, "Well, I'm about to go here, you want to go?" Just be like, "Fuck it." Rather than being so concrete to your plans, you just go. And when you do this while traveling, especially me and Harrison know this hack well. When you land somewhere and you didn't even book a hotel and you have no plan, it always turns out the best because you end up waking up on some stranger's couch who invited you to come over and have dinner and see their local area the way they see it. And Mm -hmm. they fed you and then they gave you a place to stay and it saved you money too. And it was all because you were like today, rather than trying to set a plan and sticking to it or having an agenda, I'm just going to see what comes naturally in the flow of life. I'm going to ride the river and I'm going to go, yep. Okay. Yeah. I'll try that. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. Or here's this food. I'll try it or whatever it may be. So yeah, dude, I, I appreciate that. And I guess the, the part B to that question would be, did you ever consciously while traveling work on yourself in something like you used this, Hey, I'm going to Amsterdam and I'm going to practice my, you know, communication. I'm going to work on my social skills. I'm going to work on practicing this language, you know, things like that. 
I, while I lived in Taiwan specifically, I wanted to learn more about the origin of all things. So, um, I had my sister send me this book called A Brief History in Time by Stephen Hawking. <laughs> I had to look at my bookshelf to, to make sure I had the name right. Um, uh, because I told you, know, I told you about my experience with like, with finding and believing in God, mm-hmm. but that came with a lot of, of analytics too. Like, okay. Like did I just have this psychedelic experience? Like how can I try and prove this to myself? Mm-hmm. So one of the things, one of my journeys out, you know, when I moved to Taiwan was, was really trying to understand the scientific end of things. So I had my sister send me a brief history in time by Stephen Hawking. And I learned about his scientific perspective of the origin of things in the universe. And what I discovered was it sounds, it sounds a lot like Genesis in the Bible, the first book of the Bible. Stephen talks about in the beginning, there was nothing. It was void. There was nothing. And then in an instant, everything exploded. All the matter that we know in the universe exploded into existence in this violent, beautiful explosion known as the Big Bang. And uh, everything that we know exploded into existence in that moment. And before that, it was in this infinitely small compressed point, just infinitely small, and no one could see it. So I thought, in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, there was nothing. And God spoke and everything was created. And I thought, Stephen Hawking wrote a book about this, a science book about this, but like it says this in Genesis. Yeah. So um, so that's one of the things I was I was doing was I was trying to make sense of God and creation from a scientific perspective. And I thought if I kind of immersed myself in the scientific ideology of how the world was created it would either strengthen my belief or weaken it and it strengthened it. Wow. That is cool. Okay. That's, that's a different answer than most people give me, but I, uh, I like that. That's an important thing to work on or work towards understanding. So that's very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't want to, man, I could, I could literally keep talking to you or ask endless stories um, questions about stories for forever. And you got one more, we can do one um, more. I save it for a sec. Cause there's a few quick, easy questions. I'm more like getting into this, like long form, like just conversation, but I do have some questions that I think are fun and important to ask. So let me bring up my list real quick. And these are simple ones. Like, you know, in Taiwan, Taiwan, simple one, what was the currency? How much was it worth compared to the dollar? Just a fun way for people to understand how much you're balling out when you're over there. Okay. So in Thailand. Well, I know Thailand, but Taiwan, is it even cheaper? Yeah. Yeah. It's still called dollars. Oh, okay. Um, And I think a thousand Taiwan dollars was like $30. 30 American dollars. Okay. So similar to bot, similar to the, similar Thai, to bot. Uh, 
Yep. Yeah, same. Yep. About the same. I remember every time I dropped a grand, it was thirty bucks. So okay, that's uh, that's good. Um, let's see here. I've, I've already asked a lot of these questions in roundabout ways. Your perspective changes, all that. Um, do you think you'd ever have gone to either of those places if not for paintball? Nope. Never no chance. Even had interest going to them. I would have had interest. I would have. I would have. I would be in a place right now in my life where I have extreme wanderlust, and I yeah. want to go everywhere. And I really got that out of my system. Yeah. To a point. To a point. You know, when I was living in Taiwan, and I was traveling every weekend to another event in Southeast Asia. I was done. I was like, I'm tired of living out of a suitcase. Yeah, yeah. I want to just stay in one place. So, um. The challenge is my wife has wanderlust and she wants to go places. Mm. And, uh, and you know, now that, uh, I'm, you know, working with ghost sports, I'm going to be traveling a lot more. So, you know, mm-hmm. so it's cool because I kind of have the travel bug again. I'm kind of excited about doing it. That's cool. And that's a good answer. And, uh, that's also perspective eye opening for me as well, because, um, how old are you? 39. So about 40. So you're saying you got it all out of you. And I feel like you are a me of the generation above me, like you and your Mm -hmm. generation of pros is the one above me. And you did exactly the path I'm on where like, I'm trying to like see every country and play every event on my bucket list before about 40 ish, maybe a give or take a year or a few years or whatever, but roughly 40 and then I can at that point know like, hey, I'm if I'm done with playing at the elite level, I'm okay with walking away from this because I've exhausted it all. I'm yeah. very conscious and aware of that of like, I do not want to have kids before then. Not that I haven't seen people have it done, but like, I really want to make sure that I don't half-ass raising kids. And once again, I've seen people do both. But for me personally, I'm an all-in guy. So like when I'm at that stage of life, if I want to do that, I want to be fully in. Yeah. And since I I'm fully in this, I want to know that I've checked every box and accomplished all I wanted before I move on. So like the wanderlust is strong within me right now. I've only seen like, I don't know, 30 or 40 countries or something like that. Not a lot. And there's a lot in the fucking world. And there's a few leagues and events that I've not been to. So I am doing what you had already done. And when I'm your age, I could be like, okay, I'm good. I'm ready to like sit comfortably in San Diego or somewhere beautiful. Or for me, it's probably going to be Southeast Asia where I'll buy my house for a fraction of the cost. Mm-hmm. And the money that I've made leading up to then will far quicker retire me than doing it here in the rat race. Dude, when you're my age, you, you will have, you, I mean, you have already traveled a lot more than I have been a lot more countries. So, I mean, if you quit traveling today, you will still have traveled more than 99% of the human population, 99.9% of the human population. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And and all for paintball, right? It's like the thing you said where I, I've always wanted to be a traveler as a kid. I always wanted to see new place and do new stuff, but I saw the way my parents were stuck in their thing where they had, they had money to do it, but they only got two weeks vacation time a year. And that was dreadful to me. That looked like prison itself where I'm like, Oh my God, even if I get a six figure job being a doctor or whatever, I'm just great. I'll get two weeks a year to go to like Cancun or somewhere close enough, but I'm, it's going to, you know, you only live so many years in 50 years, 
I'm not going to see enough. I'm not going to see enough of each country I go to. And I'm going to miss a lot of the world before I die. And I think the best treasure in this world is like experience and seeing it all. Like you're not taking the money with you. So I was just like, that doesn't seem like enough for me. And paintball yeah. is my passport to everywhere. And nice. yeah, it's been Nicely fucking done. sweet for, for me, for <laughs> you, for, for all of us lucky enough to do it for the Montressors who inspired me and a lot of us for, you know, all those guys who were pioneering it and doing it when it was wild, wild Westish. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just fucking amazing. So, um, good answer. The next thing I was going to ask you was, are you one of those people where every time you've been somewhere, you do blank thing. You're like, Oh, I, I got to try the local beer or I have to go see the local, the monument or like the not tourist trap, but like the big sightseeing thing or what is it you always do when you travel? I do have the thing where it's like, I have to go eat at this place X, Y, Z when I go mm -hmm. to back home to San Diego. Um, it's like, I got to get an in and out burger. I got to get a California burrito. I got to go to city tacos like I got to get certain foods in me when I go to San Diego. I don't have that when I travel like abroad places. It's not like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm in Thailand. So I just, I got to have a scorpion. Okay. Um, That's um, fair. But I got, but I have to experience something, right? I have like, especially now after the, you know, the, the revelation that I've had about, uh, you know, being in the moment, it's like, I got to do something touristy. I got to experience something. I got to take a photo of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so there's definitely that. I get it. No, I always feel like I have to find one of those like stories that I'll never forget because I immersed myself in something. Like mm -hmm. I sat down with locals or tried to get invited to like someone's like tradition, like a cultural thing. One of those things that you can't buy like as a tourist on the go-go bus like you'd yeah. have to actually be walking around and connecting with people for them to be like, Hey, why don't you come here with us? Come us, come over to the, uh, you know, the hidden gem or like the locals secret. So that that's what you get I that in paintball. Like you don't, you don't, you do not get that as a tourist unless you're 100%. really like good at being, you know, social butterfly, mm -hmm. but in paintball, you get these opportunities to experience the culture, the way that the locals experience it. Like you said, to go have dinner at their house or go to their favorite restaurant. And you're not going to read about those, you know, these restaurants on Yelp because mm -hmm. the tourists don't go to them. So a lot of people don't know that like, paintball is a way to experience cultures in a way that tourism cannot provide. hundred percent. Even if you were rich, you cannot yeah. buy some of the experiences that we've gotten. And hopefully players that are divisional and are trying to get out there or go pro to do it, chase it for that reason. Cause it's the best perk we have. Nobody's yep. making millions doing this. And hopefully if people find this podcast that are non-players, they hear these stories and they go, Whoa, you know, you know, my little nephew, Jeremy has been saying he wants to get into paintball. I think I support that now. Cause it seems like these dudes live a very interesting lifestyle, like yeah. a, a very out of the box one. So that's right. That's cool. Um, is there any particular like thing you always get? Like, I'm not talking fridge magnets that say Tulum on it, but like, are you a person where you're like, Ooh, we don't have this type of like cloth or material back home. I got to get the locals t-shirt or 
not shirt, but like their type of apparel or style or, or do you get anything? I don't, I don't even get souvenirs usually just pictures. Cool. Cool. You don't even shop for the dirt cheap souvenirs because it's a good way to like holiday shop for your family and send it home. No, I bought my mom a set of clogs when I went to Amsterdam. Nice. I don't, I don't, I don't have like any shot glasses or little magnets or souvenirs or like even cooler things. Like you mentioned, like t-shirts made from their fabric, their local fabrics. I I should start that Joe. I'm going to start doing that. In fact, when I go to Vegas, you know, in a, in a couple months, I'm going to buy a souvenir just because of this conversation. I'm not, no, I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not a, I am the least materialistic person. Uh, everything I own could fit in the trunk of my car. I don't believe in just buying shit because, but like if you're in, let's say South America or Asia and you're wearing a cotton t-shirt, you are fucking wet. So you have to buy, and luckily they're only three to five bucks, the local stuff that's like made out of like bamboo because it breathes better. It's better hmm. for living in that environment. So anytime I travel somewhere, I don't really bring much. I might bring a couple pairs of clothing, mostly boxers. But when I get there, I buy my couple of shirts for the for the trip there. And it's smart. Yeah, it's great. I'll, even get a nice, I'll get a nice dress shirt sometimes for like the night out. And it's like, it looks sweet. Locals even compliment you and be like, ah, oh, that's, that's the style. That looks good on you, you know? And it's yeah. not whatever they call it where you're like taking their culture. They don't give a fuck. They love it. They're like, very cool you know so yeah. way to I represent like mm-hmm. now um this is my probably my favorite segment um i gotta have a button for this too but have you ever been gringoed and let me explain that gringoed harrison always coined this is a gringo is like the obvious touristy white person that like when you get to mexico rather than going out and seeing or experiencing real Mexico, you, I'll do my first example. First ever time you take the fucking stupid guided tour through the resort that ends in a two hour meeting for a timeshare, just because you're like, Oh, I'll get a free buffet and I'll get to sit at the pool. But you, you, you did the stupid trap that they set up for you. Like Americans that they think have money or they scam you or they overcharge you. Like you, you, you hear them charging you more than one of the locals when you're like buying food or novelty stuff in the streets. Have you, have you been gringoed? Yeah. I was uh, trying to buy a fake Rolex in Malaysia. <laughs> and <laughs> the guy tried to tell me it was real and he wanted like all this money. And I'm like, I don't think this is real. Cause you walked up to me in a jacket and like went like this and showed me all your watches. Um, so I've had like people try and take advantage of me, but okay. I didn't like, and fall fall for it um i got not related to paintball i got gringoed on my honeymoon and ended up doing a timeshare presentation <laughs> to get a helicopter ride. <laughs> so i have been gringoed uh by your definition but not from paintball okay oh surprising i feel like everyone i know has been gringoed on a paintball trip so that's cool um last few things here are is there something you always bring with you? Like you have to have this while you travel. I don't mean passport, phone, whatever, but like, you know, for example, people have said, little Ben said he brings an athletic bag. That way when he wants to walk around, has a few extra things on him, he has it, but he's not carrying his full size backpack. He can leave it at the hotel. Something mm-hmm. that makes your life easy while you travel. 
Hmm. Pocket knife. Theragun. A Theragun. I have this little pocket Theragun. It's like this little triangle. Yep. So it's like a like a portable, more portable version of the Theragun. Uh, lately, I've been bringing that everywhere I go because it's a lifesaver on the feet. Um, I always got hats with me. Um, yeah. I always try and bring a pocket knife. So you put a pocket knife in your luggage, and then as soon as you land, you take it out, put it in your pocket, because you never know when you're going to need a pocket knife. True. Survival, safety, I agree. I'm a person who's the same. I've learned now to buy them there, because almost every other time I fly, I forget that my pocket knife is in my carry-on backpack. Yeah. And normally the TSA pulls it out and goes, what's this? We got to keep this. And I go, no, please. It's just my avocado knife. Like that's all it's for is cutting cottos. Don't take my cotto knife. And they're just like, you cannot take this dude. And then whatever people I'm traveling with laugh their ass off at me. Cause it's happened too many fucking times now. <laughs> when I played paintball, it was like always my headband, my white skull headband, seeing mm-hmm. down a white skull headband that I'd bring everywhere. That's good. Yeah. Some nostalgia, some uh, good juju. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do you have any travel tips, travel hacks, travel perks, things that would make people's life easy, whether it's in that place or in like the long, long flights to get to those places? What's something cool you've learned? Never exchange your money. Don't exchange your money. Use a debit card. Mm-hmm. or a credit card because the bank will translate it for you with the best you know the best rates so don't 100%. don't use the cash cash changing people uh because you pay a fee for that and it ends up being expensive uh if you can play paintball and travel that way and then make friends that live in the location that you're traveling and have them show you around don't go do touristy shit that's touristy shit you're not going to actually experience the place that you want to experience being a tourist yeah. you're going to experience it by being a local so connect with the locals hang out with the locals and make friends have a good time with the locals nice use the buddy system mm-hmm. right always use uh, oh it's if you're going to get robbed get robbed with a friend right it's always better mm-hmm. <laughs> you might even avoid getting robbed if you have a friend with you so like even you know even if a place seems relatively safe, I'd always use the buddy system. So, and live in the moment. We've already covered a lot of that, but that's my yeah. final advice is to be in that freaking moment, be present and live that. Very well done. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. A, a quick recap, you know, in the moment, Body system, especially if you're not experienced or till you are, you know, be safe and aware of your environment. And um, the first one, get the fuck out of the tourist bubble. Don't don't stay at the goddamn all inclusive resort because it doesn't matter what country in. If you are at the all inclusive resort being waited on hand and foot, did you really even go to that country or see the culture? You were basically in this little satellite version of the U.S. that you had to fly across the world to. So yeah. fuck that shit. Get out there and be in in the thick of it and immerse yourself. Immersion. Yeah. Yeah. You get it. <sighs> Do I ever? Well, excellent, dude. I mean, I got a million more questions, but those are all the important ones. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, we've we've talked a bunch, but 
this was the first time we got to sit down and like, you know, just vibe out and talk about the important shit. And uh, Zizek, you're a very interesting dude, uh, intelligent, but also, you know, as grounded and like normal in many ways as you are, you're also very kind of like open and hippie minded. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to know you, dude, because you're doing a lot for paintball and I love what you do with paintball nerd. I love that you're now connected to go sports. I didn't realize that that was a perk of when I just got in your last show. I was like, holy shit, this is on go sports now that we're talking about this. It's not just yeah. another homies podcast. It's like on the front page of where all the, the matches are. So um, I love that you're doing that and it's big for the sport and you're killing it. So shout out to paintball nerd and go sports and to all the other podcasters and content creators and, you know, the voice of it all, Maddie Marshall and everyone who's doing so much to like, try to share this sport and push it to the next level. Just, yeah. Grateful for all of it. Cool. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. Uh, any, any shout outs, anybody you want to thank anything you need to say? Uh, I'd like to, thank my wife for putting up with me as I pursue my dream to re-enter the paintball industry. And that had, comes with its trials and tribulations, but thank you to my wife, Megan. And, uh, I love you, Zaja and Zia, my kids. And, uh, and Hey, keep playing paintball. Everyone paintball is awesome. I love paintball. You should love paintball too. That's it. Fuck. Yeah, dude. Well, uh, <laughs> Hope everyone out there uh, enjoyed their trip. Um, thank you for checking in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, stay a paintball. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. You like that? I'm still working on it. You know, I, I got to find something, but uh, it, it's coming. It's coming along. Thank you for keeping your hands and arms inside the podcast. Mm. At all times, we've reached our destination. Please don't fucking stand up until we are at the gate. <laughs> And they tell you to, you idiots. And that's all. Yeah. Don't don't rush for the door. If you're sitting in the back, don't be that guy. Okay. You're not gonna get off the plane sooner. Just just wait. Wait until the person in front of you exits. Right? Yes. If you gotta don't. stand up, fine. If you're sitting in the aisle, fine. Stand up. But don't don't try and make your way down the aisle. Don't be mm -hmm. a savage. 100%. You, know, you know these guys. You know these people, right? I hate them. My biggest plain pet peeve other than those horrible parents that don't do anything to calm down their crying or screaming obnoxious kid. And you want to run over there and like smack the parent or tell them you're going to parent for them. If they don't start whole other can of worms. Anyways, thank you quick, so quick, much. Quick on that. Quick on that. Yeah. Just real quick on that. And yeah. then we'll be done. Sure. Carry gummy bears with you. Okay. If you're a parent, if you're a parent that has a child and you're planning on traveling with that child, bring gummy bears with you. But for you, Joe, also bring gummy bears because if you encounter a counting child, it's likely because they're experiencing this pressure on their ears and they don't know what the fuck is happening. Mm -hmm. So they're crying. So give them some gummy bears. They'll chew the gummy bears and they'll cause their ears to crack and it'll relieve the pressure from the airplane. Smart. And that's why the kids cry. It's because they don't know what the, what the hell's going on. So parents, gummy bears, travelers, frequent travelers, gummy bears. If you want to avoid, uh, noisy kids and buy some noise canceling headphones you know don't don't expect the world to tiptoe around you yeah, right? yeah that's true get some headphones all right that's it <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well done. Thank you, bro. Much love. Yeah. Later, buddy. Later.